drink, that's coffee, that's tea, fizzy freeze, whatever you got, Thornton's is going to make that happen for you. We love Thornton's. There's 45,414 area Thornton's locations for a reason. They know what they're doing. And then text us while you're done. Download that app at 502-414-1450. Lots to get to today. It's going to be, because I am solo today, a guest-heavy show. We're going to have Kent Spencer from WHAS at 3.30. We're going to have Jeff Greer. Who I mean, I don't know what's Greer do these days. Who, who even knows anymore? He's still he's got the newsletter, he's got the podcast, he's doing the stuff with Racing Louisville and Lucid FC. I don't even know what to call him anymore though. But he's going to be on at four to talk Cardinal hoops and also some general college basketball stuff because there's some big time college basketball news out there today. And then Keith Wynn will join us at five fifteen to talk football news. We've got some big stuff happening this weekend on the U of L football recruiting front. The Jeff Brom legend continues to grow. It sounds like there could be could be. Some big-time positive football recruiting news coming your way. Before we get into any of that stuff, though, we'll say hello to, to Gary. Gary is, is here filling in for Patrick, filling in for Trevor. Gary, did you uh, You said you had a birthday. You're, you're in the same predicament as my wife is, where her birthday always falls just after the major celebrations and That's just right. when people are getting back to work. And she, she says every year it's like the worst birthday possible. She wishes it was just on the 31st or the 1st or the 25th. Just to like, it's like, at least people will be celebrating. Now they don't even want me to celebrate. But did you have a celebratory birthday? No. <laughs> now hers is on the third right hers is on the third yeah That's mine's great. on the fourth my mom called and left me a message that was it and that was it <laughs> and then and then yesterday afternoon about four thirty, i was working in the home studio and my wife comes in at four thirty in the afternoon and says, kisses me on on the head and says happy birthday and i'm like oh yeah thanks did you just remember <laughs> no i've been thinking about it all day <laughs> okay sure <laughs> at least when we were in college like her birthday it always fell, you know, that first weekend when you were back, when everybody was back from, from going home, it was like a big party weekend. So at least you could celebrate that way. Now being washed up adults with kids, there's just, you know, the, we're going to go out to dinner tomorrow night with some friends, but that's pretty much, like, like that's it. Like you've, and hers was like the first full day back to work. It was the first day that everybody was back working, first day she was back working, first day the kids were back to school. It was just, it, it was bad. And I'm sure when your wife was growing up, she heard the same thing that I heard. You know, that's a really nice gift I got you for Christmas, so we'll just say that's your Christmas and birthday exactly. combined. Exactly. Oh, I hated that. It's like, give me two smaller gifts. Just give me something cheap for my birthday. I don't care. I want two things to open. <laughs> and I do, I, I try, because I'm in that predicament too, where like, you know, eight months out of the year, I'm like, I feel like I haven't gotten married anything in a long time. I'm like, oh, that's because Christmas, her birthday, and Valentine's Day are all lined up. I get hit like over the head three times. And I do feel like I, I fall into the category. I think I did well this year, but there have been a lot of years where I get her probably like too much for Christmas. And then, you know, I feel like I've done shopping. And then it's the 28th, and you're like, oh, my God, I've got to get her something for her birthday. It's like five days away. Um, but it, it, she does kind of, she gets shortchanged. How'd your kids enjoy uh, Christmas this year? They did well. They, 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 I mean, John is still he's not old enough to appreciate it yet. He's 14 months, so he's, okay. he's still too young to really kind of get it. He, he says ho, ho, ho when he sees Santa, which is that's as far as we got this year. But this was the first year where Virginia, I think, really got it, like really understood the concept. We left cookies for Santa. She got really into Rudolph, the old clay special, the, the old claymation With special. Lives. Exactly. She's, she knows Sam the snowman. She knows all the characters. So she wanted to leave. Uh, a carrot out for both Rudolph and Clarice, who's we, we told her was on the sleigh team this year because she loves Clarice, and so uh, she was she was super into it this year. They had a good time, but did they watch it? Did she watch it over and over again? You have it on DVD. She, we I've got it DVR it. on. Oh, okay. I recorded, got, oh. I recorded it off like NBC whenever they aired it or CBS, I guess, a few years ago, and we watched it probably seventy five times this December. Wow. But she was good. You know, a lot of times with kids, I feel like they have a hard time 
hitting that off switch after the holidays. You know, they still want to wear the, you know, the, the, the Christmas stuff. They still want to watch the Christmas specials. She was pretty good at understanding, like, Christmas is over now. We're, we're moving on. She got off Rudolph pretty quickly, and, uh, and she's, you know, she's not exactly thrilled to be going back to school, but she's doing well. She's good. She did the best she could. Uh, we've got uh, lots to get to today, a lot of on the Louisville front, a lot of national stuff. Before we get to any of that stuff, though, I, I do think it is necessary to share an update from the biggest story in, I mean, maybe not just the sports world, but the entire world, and that is what's going on with Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin. It, good news. We, I think everybody's kind of been waiting. There have been some erroneous reports out there. Everybody's been waiting for something official from one of these health physicians, somebody from the family, and all we've kind of heard have been murmurings that you know, he's still in, in critical condition, but you know maybe he's communicating, maybe his eyes have opened. And we got the official word about an hour ago from University of Cincinnati health physicians that uh, put out this statement. They said, we'd like to share that there has been substantial improvement over the 20, past 24 hours with Damar Hamlin. As of this morning, he is beginning to awaken, and it appears that his neurological condition and function is intact. He continues to be critically ill, he still has significant progress that he needs to make, but this marks a really good turning point in his ongoing care. They held a about an hour-long press conference where two of the physicians answered questions and, and you know did the best they could to not sound overly medical and, and put it in layman's terms that you know, morons like myself could really understand. But the I guess the the biggest most dramatic portion of the press conference was you know they said has he communicated. And they said he has. He, he has not spoken, but when he first woke up, he, he got a pen and he wrote down on a piece of paper who won. Wanted to know who won the game between the Bills and the Bengals, which is phenomenal. And one of the doctors res- said, you know, we responded with, you won, Damar. You won the game of life, which I was like, eh, you know, <laughs> like, it's a great moment. We don't have to make it overly. In my mind, I just imagine Demar Hamlin being like, "Are you really going to make me ride out?" No, seriously, who won the game? I really, I, I didn't ask this just to, like for this dramatic moment that you can take to the press conference. I want to know whether or not my team won, and then I imagine them having to give back this really lengthy answer about, "Well, they they waited a long time. There were some questions about whether or not they're going to play it. They postponed the game. Now it looks like they're not going to play it. Period." But I did, I, I just love the fact that that's what's going through his mind. It, is the first thing that he wants to ask. Who won? You hear those stories a lot of times when it comes to players who, you know, went across the middle and got concussions, and they wake up and they're like, you know, did, did, did we win the game or did I hold on to the ball or, or what happened? My favorite one of those stories of all time is I, I, I gotta, I, I've got to tell it. My guy Scott Ratcliffe, the former Trinity High School product who was a walk on at U of L, played for Charlie Strong, um, was on the Sugar Bowl team in 2012, which just celebrated its 10 year anniversary a couple of days ago. His one of the best football stories of all time, and I'm going to have to clean up the language a little bit and leave out a couple of the parts, but if anybody remembers, his senior day was, it was a, a bad senior day. The UofL had just lost to Syracuse, ruined their perfect season the week before, and on senior day at Cardinal Stadium, the Cards ended up losing a double overtime game to Connecticut, a, a not good Connecticut team. And early in the game, Scott went across the middle to catch a pass, got drilled, like knocked out cold, and the ball, I think, short hopped him, and... He, he he comes to while he's still on the field. The coaches are all out there. Charlie Strong's out there, like, hovering over him. And Strong used to call him Bad Rad. And Scott wakes up a little bit, and he's like, Charlie Strong's like, Bad Rad, are you okay, man? And he's like, in true Disney fashion, did I catch it? And in not true Disney fashion, Charlie Strong looks down at him and goes, 
F no, man. You, you got knocked the hell out. You didn't catch the ball. He's like, you're knocked out cold. Get off the field. Like, it was it, the way that he, he tells the story. I think he wrote about it on Car Chronicle one time. It's the funniest thing because it does. It has the full Disney buildup where he's like, did I catch it? And Strong looks at him, and the first two words he says are F no. The, the actual word, and then he's like, "Get up, get up, get off the field. You're fine." Uh, but that is Demar Hamlin's story. Hopefully, having a, a a happy ending here. It sounds like he's he's still got a ways to go, but this is the most positive news that anybody could have hoped for after watching what we all watched Monday that, night. That was really tough to watch, and um, I got to say, I thought Scott Van Pelt did a great job when he came when they finally put him on the air. And uh, I mean. What do you do in that situation? You're a sportscaster. And, of course, most sportscasters started out in news, so they yeah. have a journalistic background. But just something you just never expect to happen. It's why I think the best piece of advice that – because sometimes people, these poor kids who email me who are like, do you have any advice for me? I'm trying to get into the business. And it's like, you know, don't don't do what I do ever. But one of the things that stuck with me, and I'll, I'll give him credit. I know he's a sort of – combative figure when it comes to Cardinal athletics, but Pat Forty came to our, my high school journalism class when I was a senior in high school and did a lengthy kind of speech to us, a Q&A session. And then we actually got to visit the Courier Journal and talk to him and a couple of other guys who were working there at the time. And, you know, somebody brought up like the best piece of advice. And he said, don't read everything, learn everything about newspaper. Don't just focus on sports writing. Don't just read sports writing. You're going to have to know a little bit about everything if you want to be the best possible sports writer. And I think that's what you, the people who handled this situation the best, especially in the immediate hours following what happened on Monday night, were the people who very clearly had a background in something other than, than sports, who, who learned, you know, just did standard news coming up for a period of time. And I know Scott Van Pelt had a background where he was kind of all over the place. And I, I know he spent some time at the Golf Channel after being more of a, a news guy. But you could tell... In those moments, you need you don't need somebody breaking down the AFC playoff seeding scenarios now, or what happens if they award the Bengals a win, or what. Ha- you need somebody who's acting like a empathetic human being. You, you need somebody who's just humanity is going to show. And I thought there were some people who handled it very, very well. Honestly, I know that speaking of people who are not overly loved in U of L circles, um, Booker McFarland was really, really good in, in sort of relaying the human side of things and also coming at to it from a former player's perspective, but there were some people who, Skip Bayless, who were not great, who, who did not come off as, as overly human uh, during this this whole thing. But there were some times, I think in those immediate hours, where everybody was just kind of watching because you don't know if news is going to break, but you can't turn away. You just want to hear something, and so you keep the TV on this entire night, or at least as long as you can, where some people really, I thought, shined. And that tends to happen in every crisis, you know, whether we're talking about a sports injury or, you know, I remember watching this is pulling a, a lengthy string, but the day of, of 9-11, remember Aaron Brown was a kind of a no-name person on CNN. Yeah, he had just started there too. He, it was first time, first day on the air. Unbelievable. And he ended up doing so well and making such a large impression that he's you know, hosting his own show like a, a year later. And I think, you know, the, the cream rises to the top in situations like that. But DeMar Hamlin... It's just nice to hear something officially positive because I think we're also also jaded with the the internet and everybody everybody who's been on the internet for any period of time has been duped in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's you know a 
Sri Lankan you know, millionaire who's, who's giving you money or it's a somebody looking for love or if it's just somebody who put a tweet out there that you believed momentarily who was posing as somebody else. And there have been some of those out there like here. I'm a friend of DeMar Hamlin's family and this is what's and you know, you just you don't know who to believe. And so to get the actual press conference where the actual people who are taking care of him are saying these things is such a it's such a just I think huge, huge reassurance for everybody. Um, granted, he still has a ways to go, but just, we needed to hear something positive. And I always tell people when they want to start out in, in the media on radio or television, I say back when, back in the olden days, it was a lot easier because we didn't have social media and you don't have, uh, you know, access to people critiquing everything you do on the air. And, uh, for folks like you in, in sports, you know, I, I just sometimes, uh, I don't, I don't understand why you just don't get so mad from reading some of that yeah. stuff when they're critiquing you. I do have a like, – I think maybe I have more of a sympathetic heart when it comes to people who slip up and just say something really, really stupid because, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm talking here three hours a day. I'm talking on – I have a podcast. And they don't realize how tough that is. It's impossible not to say something stupid. You just hope that yes, it's not right. something so stupid that it winds up getting everybody down your throat. Like – I mean, sometimes you just, and you you know this, doing this, sometimes you just say stuff that you don't even mean. Like, you'll, you'll go home and you'll look back at it four hours later. You're like, I don't even believe that. I don't even know how that came out of my mouth. In the moment, it felt like something that I, I believe but now that I sit down and think about it. So, you know, just, it is, especially in this day and age where everybody has a internet imprint, especially everybody who's coming up and who's young and who's in the business, the, the best advice I can give you is what you're seeing more and more professional athletes do on the night that they get drafted. Delete your old Twitter account once you start professionally. <laughs> start a new one. I know you don't want to lose those you know, 1,500 followers or whatever you may have. It is worth it in the long run because <laughs> unless you want to go through every single tweet that you've made since you were 11 years old back in 2011, you do not want to run the risk because you've probably said something stupid, whether or not you, had, you, you remember it or not. I, I mean, I started the first blog I ever launched. I tried to do a political blog in college one, one time. It was very short-lived. And then I launched the first UofL site that I did in like 06. But before that, I'd written just scattered thoughts that would share. And I went back and looked at those a few years ago. And I was like, oh, my God. Like this, one, this is terrible. Two, th- th- these are things that I cannot, I can't say anymore. And it's funny how sometimes you don't remember saying that. I, I had no recollection of ever saying one of the things that I said that I was like, you know, it's it wasn't like racist or or you know, sexist or anything like, like that. But it yeah. was it was something that it was in poor taste what I said, what I'd written, and I was like, I, this wouldn't be a huge deal or it wouldn't. Get, but like I. This is not something that I believe. This is not something that I would ever say now. I can't believe that I ever put this out there, and I'm going to very quickly delete it now. This is this is what's going to happen, and I think that's the best advice I can give to a lot of people. Once in a while, I'll pull out an old tape of myself and listen to it, and my wife goes, oh, you remember saying that? I'm like, it's it's like I'm listening to somebody else because it was so long ago. Same. It's yeah. un, it's, and that's, I think, the way it is for a lot of people. Saying something bad about Paul Abdul and getting in trouble, you know. Oh, I don't remember saying that. My, the, thing that the thing that I had written was something bad about Ashley Judd, where it was just— uh, Is that right? She had said something that I thought was really dumb, but I said something in response that was also dumb. And again, it wasn't like—it wasn't overly hateful or something. It was just silly. It was just a, a stupid thing. And I was like, I would not, would not say this in, in this day and age. So I don't even remember writing this, but I'm glad that—, that People don't remember it, at least, or at least they don't anymore. Or somebody will say something to me like, uh, you know, you know, when you, when you used to do that morning show, you, you did something that was really stupid. And I go, well, bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, DeMar Hamlin, I think we're all still waiting to hear, you know, 
the best word, which is you know he's in the clear. That's the next thing that I think we all hope uh, comes. But to, to hear that he's awake, to hear that he's communicating, they also said that he's been holding hands of, of the family that's been around him. And they've interviewed the family a, a number of times, various members who have been at the hospital since this happened on Monday night. And to a person, they have all just sung the praises of the medical team, not just at the University of Cincinnati, but the 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 first responders, the people who were out there on the field. And you see now, I can't remember the, the gentleman's name who's been the head of Bill's training, the first person who was out there. Like those actions in those split second, the decisions that were made then, they not only saved his life, but they saved his life in a way that he's still going to be himself for the remainder of his life, assuming that he you know, gets into the all clear in, in the next couple of weeks. Like if you do the wrong thing five or, or wait five minutes later than you, you waited in this case, he may have lived, but he may have also never been the same. He, he may have never had a fully functioning brain. He may have never, um, you know, had a heart that could have functioned properly for the rest of his life. He yep. may have seen his lifespan significantly shortened. Like these people are the just the, the true here. I know that word gets tossed around a lot, but they are the true heroes of this whole situation. And a lot of people after seeing what happened and after seeing what the, the medical team was able to do there on the field have uh, found uh, an interest once again in learning CPR. I'm one of those people. Like when it came out, I remember learning it way back in the day when there was a class. But like you, it's, a, it's been a while. You I forget. Guess. Like yeah, and you should. It's it's probably something. I know it's, this has been tossed around a lot in the last uh, 72 hours. It's probably something that everybody should know. It's it just is. The one thing I remember is um, when they when they were teaching CPR is that uh, if you if you break their rib, you did a good job. <laughs> Sure. I mean, it, you really do have to put the pressure on there. And then there's a, a way that you can time the beats according to one of the Bee Gees songs from Saturday Night Fever, and I can't remember which one it it's was. It's Staying Alive. Is it Staying Alive? Because there's a there's an office scene that has been said a lot where oh. <laughs> it's ha, 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 staying alive. You do it to that, that rhythm because in the office, the, they have a CPR trainee, trainer, and she's and Michael's like, oh, I know that song. And he gets in and he goes, <laughs> he goes at first I was afraid I was petrified and she's like no it's I'll stay alive. no it's not I will survive <laughs> yeah it's a it's a it, it's a it's fantastic it's a great scene the whole scene is, is terrific uh we've got to, we have other stuff that we have to get to we're gonna have Ken Spencer on here at, at 3 30 but big news in college basketball we'll get to it shortly but Chris Beard out at Texas the meteoric rise that he's had from you know unknown young coach to maybe the biggest hottest name in all of college basketball coaching comes to a wild end. Um, I personally did not see this coming, especially since the, his girlfriend had tried to drop the charges a week and a half ago. I assume Texas was going to potentially wait out the entire season, then try to, you know, get this thing done in the summer and, and, and have nobody notice, you know, do what a lot of big time programs do. Instead, they go ahead and say, no, Chris Beard, done. Uh, Rodney Terry will coach the rest of the season for the Longhorns, who just gave up 116 points to Kansas State the other night. We've got uh, news. Gorgie Zhang has been released by the Spurs as part of a trade. Where does he go from here? We've got uh, a funny slash insane letter to Indiana's Trace Jackson Davis that demands our attention. We've got uh, big-time football news that, that we're going to get to, not just before we talk to Keith Wynn, but uh, when Keith comes on at 515. Uh, recruiting continuing to heat up for the UofL football and Jeff Brom. We'll get to all that good stuff. Also, maybe some not-so-great football news for UK that could turn into some kind of good football news for UofL. Hmm. I don't know. It's out there. 
Maybe. Uh, we'll get to all that good stuff, but first, Kent Spencer from WHS will join us after the break. Keep it locked right here. It's the Mike Rutherford Show on Back in Thursday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show here on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. Reminding you once more, if you uh, don't have a, if you have a heating problem this winter, it's going to get cold again very, very soon. The heat goes out at midnight. Need to get the air back on, back flowing before you can sleep through the night. Maybe you got small kids. Maybe you got pets. Only one place in this area that you can call any hour of any day. It's AirServe. Give them a call at 502-264-9662. If it's 3 a.m., they're still going to have somebody available to take your call. And they'll have a technician available to come out to your home and fix your problem. That's AirServe at 502-264-9662. Joining us now on the phones, uh, our buddy from WHAS, Kent Spencer. We haven't had him on in a while. We're happy to talk to him. He's got fantastic hair. Uh, Kent, how are you, my friend? You know, that's the nicest thing anybody said to me so far in 2023. Fantastic hair. Thank you so much. Buddy. You're welcome. Happy, happy New Year, buddy. I'm doing well. <laughs> how was the New Year for the, uh, the Spencer fam? You know, it was wasn't wasn't half bad. I mean, we you know obviously busy as always, and you got three kids and they're off school, and so you know does it get to be a little chaotic around the house? It absolutely does, especially with new Christmas presents. Uh, but overall, can't can't complain. Let's ask the, a softball question right off the bat. Uh, how does Louisville fix its men's basketball program, Kent? <laughs> In all seriousness, uh, I, where do you where do you fall on the whole? We're seeing progress from this team. They just haven't gotten over the hump. I mean, if nothing else, in recent weeks, three straight covers, it, it indicates at least some progress. Am I wrong? No. I Look, I think it's okay to, like, you look at it and you do see progress. You do see them getting better. I mean, I, I mentioned this the other night, you know, after the Syracuse game, and it was in fact, it was still going on. I said, look, this is the best game that Mike James has played in a Louisville uniform. And honestly, I also felt like it was the best game that Brandon Huntley Hatfield had played in a Louisville uniform um, since since he's been here. Um, and, and not that they were perfect. It was just their best game. So I think it's okay to say, are they, are they making progress? Yes. Are they still a long, 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 long way away from being a good team? 100%. But, you know, and sometimes... Uh, when it's as bad as it's been, baby steps is is what you got to hang on to. When you hear from 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 Kenny Payne after games, and I know you guys covered all the press conferences over there at WHS, <clears throat> do you feel like he's figuring some things out on, on the go? It does sound like he's the tone has changed, the message has changed a little bit. It sounds like he feels like he's finally getting to know this team a little bit. Do you think he's kind of finding some solid footing as this year goes along? I, I think the reps, you have to with reps, right? Like, I mean, you know, people can always say, well, he was a long-time assistant for so long, and, you know, he did spend the last few years in the NBA. Look, when you when you slide over to that seat, I think it's such a 
such a massive, like the view is just completely different. Even if you filled in and, and, you know, after John Calipari has been tossed from the game and you filled in and, and you were, you know, the head coach for the rest of the uh, rest of the way, running your own program is a, is just a different animal. And I think that that was probably a shock for him, you know, especially as the season, you know, came up and, and, um, you know, practices turned into exhibitions and exhibitions turned into games. Um, so I think the reps have helped a little bit. And I, I do think that he is learning, you know, along the way, you know, when you have a team and you're two and 13, I get the fact that they're trying to, to rebuild a, a culture or establish their culture. Um, when it comes to, to what they want mobile basketball to be, I just need to hear something different. And I actually, I, I feel like, you know, maybe in the last couple weeks, I feel like we are starting to hear some, some different messages, maybe a few tangible things. Um, and I think that that's a, that's a step that has to take place. Like I said, still a massively long way to go. Um, and, and if you truly want to get this thing fixed, in my opinion, it has to start you know, in recruiting because you have to get better players on the bench. For you guys on the TV side of things, I know we talked last year. Like Little fans didn't think that it could get worse than last year's 13-win season with all the dysfunction behind closed doors and the conversations that we had on the radio seemed repetitive. And now you're sitting here 2-13, and 13, historically bad start. It's worse than what Little fans thought was the worst thing ever. I know here on the radio, it feels like we have the same conversations. I know talking to Brett Dawson, he's tried to liven it up with some off-the-beaten-path type pieces. For you guys on TV, what do you do when it comes to covering a Louisville basketball team that's never been as bad as it is right now? Do you just sit back there and, and film the carnage in the same old ways, or do you try to liven it up a little bit? What, what's the approach to something like this? We've never been through something like this, Kent. No, and, and you know, I think that, you know, you, you have to point out just what it is and how it is. And, and you know, I, I notice on Twitter you say all the time, well, there is, there's another 1940, 1941 <laughs> reference. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and, and you, you know, those guys are always catching strays. Um, but, you know, I, I do think you, ha- you, you have to have, you know, some fun with it, but, but have it in a classy, classy way because, you know, some of the things that you witness – just do not resemble anything when it comes to Louisville basketball. I mean, and, you know, we can always say, like, Louisville basketball should never be this. Well, currently it is. And they're, they want things to go in a different direction, and you want to get back into making Sweet 16s and Elite 8s and, you know, having yourself, you know, in a position to go back to making Final Fours. Well, they're not there yet, and it's going to be a journey. And so I think you just try to document it step by step in each game because here's what I'll say, Mike. They're two and thirteen, but there's not a hundred people in the stands. Now, are is the Yum Center to the to the point where um, you can hear a pin drop? Absolutely not. I'll say this about the fan base: um, the crowds may not be great, but there's still a consistent amount of people that do show up to games and that are having a good time mm-hmm. and are supporting this team each and every night. Um, I will say that, you know, when it comes to, to, like, especially the other night against Syracuse, you know, it's not the atmosphere that we've all been used to, you know, five, ten years ago, but, you know, they that team felt the support the other night in the Yum Center. Yeah, I think it's... It, you always hear it from the TV broadcast people. They're, they always talk about the fan base being you know, so behind this team, and it's almost like they're surprised. And, and I, it doesn't really 
translate if you're watching from home because the building looks so empty compared to what we're used to seeing. But the fans who are going to games, they're not booing the team. They're they're fully behind Kenny Payne. They want Louisville to win. At the end of the day, everybody wants the same thing, which is this program to get back to where we all expect it to be. It's just a matter of, I think, what people believe is the best route to make that happen. I, I mean, if we... There's been a debate on the show now recently because people have already turned their attention to, to year two. And if you're Kenny Payne, you very clearly need to get something going off the court that the fans can point to for hope, whether that's some recruiting or transfer portal in the spring seems like a necessity. Do you think it's too much for Louisville fans to say year two at a program like U of L? I don't care what you dealt with in year one. You need to be NCAA tournament good or you need to at least be in that conversation for us to have any confidence in you moving forward. It's here's here's what year two has to look like. And I'm not saying they need to be NCAA tournament good. They got to be a whole lot better than they are this year. And you have to see a tangible, big step forward, in my opinion. Now, obviously, you know, I thought, to be quite honest with you, I thought that they were going to be better in, in the recruiting world, whether, you know, that's high school or whether that was transfer portal. I thought they were going to be able to get some guys in the in the portal. Guess what? They didn't. That is a massive shock to me. I was completely wrong in, in all of that. And, you know, I know that Nolan Smith, you know, just the other day, he was asked about how's, how's recruiting going, and he said it's going good. Well, guess what? What's he supposed to say? Right. Nobody knows how that truly is going until they start landing players. You know, being a hat on a table or being in the final six or the final eight, honestly, that means nothing. You're going to have to have kids start to pick you, and you're going to have to see that. Now, we may not see that until at the end of the regular season going forward when, you know, everybody starts, you know, it's like uh, it's like the, the caddy's day at the pool at, at Caddyshack when everybody starts jumping in the portal again. <laughs> um, and so, you know, but, but they have to land guys this offseason. Has to be done. Um, because... The, this fan base, and I'm sure you know the the higher ups over there at U of L Athletics, they have to see a massive step forward in year two. Talk with WHAS 11's Ken Spencer here on the Mike Rutherford Show, 1450-961, the Big X. If, if there's a with, with basketball kind of being, I don't want to say it's never going to take a back seat here in Louisville, but with with men's basketball being more down in these winter months than anybody's used to seeing. It feels like a gigantic opportunity for Jeff Brom to become even more of the U of L heartthrob. He's had a good start on the recruiting trail, locking up some of the players from the previous class, and now doing well in the transfer portal. Sounds like it may be another big time weekend for him. This is if you're Jeff Brom, these next few months you want to be as visible as possible. Am I wrong? You know, I I was thinking about this today. And, you know, when you come off of what they came off with at the end of last season under Scott Satterfield, and then you get your guy, and you get the guy that he is, that family has poured more into Louisville football than any family probably in the history of anything. And he's able to come home. And for the majority of the fan base, that this is something that they've always wanted. It almost feels like the ultimate restart for Louisville football. Mm-hmm. And it almost feels like just this massive like cleansing of Louisville football, and that's kind of I feel like what we're seeing. And yeah, he had, you know, he had some success on on the recruiting trail. He's had some success in the, in the transfer portal. And like you said, they've got some they've got a big time, you know, a couple big time, you know, people that they want to try to land. Um, and it could be another big weekend for them on the on the recruiting front. And so 
Yeah, and I, I think you've seen it. I think he is trying to get out and about. But also, like, if you know Jeff, you know, around town, he just lives his life. And that's just kind of what, that's just kind of what he does. And, and you know, he's, he's home, and he's going to live like he's home. Um, and he's done a pretty good job with his coaching staff. It's just, for me, it just feels like a complete reset with this entire program. Speaking of Louisville football and coaches, got to get your quick thoughts on Bobby Petrino making the move to Texas A&M for what has to be the most dysfunctional coaching staff in the history of college football. And this is, if nothing else, this is going to be a show this fall. I think everybody is just fascinated to see how this is going to work out and, and really more specifically how it's going to just explode in the most extreme, horrific manner imaginable. So, first off, he was at UNLV for three weeks, then makes the jump to Texas A&M. I mean, honestly, like, that's probably the most Petrino thing ever, but doesn't it sound <laughs> just about right? It's perfect. So, <laughs> of course it does. And so, here's what I – once they enter, like, fall camp or even spring practice, I would love to be a fly on the wall, but I have to make sure that I have all my snacks. So, when I go to a movie, I make sure I get my popcorn, I have my Raisinets or maybe Junior Mints, you know, I've got my I've got my drinks and I have a cooler pack. I would love to just watch how this thing unfolds. You know, like how what what is it? Hard knocks in the NFL. What I would give to have a hard knocks Texas A and M edition for spring practice for fall camp and just see how long this can last. There's no way this can work. No way. <laughs> but let me tell you something. I'm locked into it. I mean. The fact that Jimbo Fisher has prided himself on his play calling all these years and is now willing to cede it to Bobby Petrino. I mean, you know that the first game where something goes wrong, it's going to be just Jimbo at Bobby's throat. And Bobby's not going to stand for it. Bobby has never, he hasn't been a uh, in a supporting role in a long, long time. And now he's not only in a supporting role, but he's in a supporting role at a big-time university with big-time money and a big-time figure as its head coach. This, I mean... If they don't have cameras everywhere on the staff, what are we doing? Like somebody needs to make this a re- pay whatever you have to to A and M to make this reality show happen because it's going to produce the most insane content that any reality show has produced since like back in the early MTV days. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, you know, Jimbo was at Florida State, probably didn't get the back of his forest facilities that that he really wanted, you know, when he was at Florida State. But, you know, I think everybody needs to understand when Jimbo was at Florida State, when he made that move to Texas A&M, it wasn't just because A&M threw a, you know, a boatload of, you know, of money at him. And don't get me wrong, they did. But it was also because, like, he knew what the future lied at Florida State. Like, he was losing control of that program. And they were headed nowhere and fast. So he made that move, you know, uh, to be quite honest with you, I mean, it's, it's almost, it was almost kind of in a, in a completely different, you know, level. It was almost kind of like Satterfield when he made the move to Cincinnati. You know, like he doesn't have the, the total, total backing at Louisville, so he goes and gets this job at Cincinnati, so he gets, you know, uh, he knows he's going to have another paycheck for three or four more years. I mean, that's, let's be honest, that's why that move was made. And so, you know, he makes that move because Florida State was getting ready to be in shambles and he goes to A&M. So you're already a guy who already can't step up and, and see the heat. Let me tell you something. You're right. The first time that that offense sputters or has any kind of hiccups, Petrino is going to be under the bus. Jimbo's going to drive it forward and back again. 
because that's just, it seems <laughs> like that's what Jimbo Fisher is all about. Uh, last thing before we let you get out of here, Gary, who's producing the show today, and I were talking at the beginning you know, with the Demar Hamlin stuff happening, and obviously we've gotten great updates today. But in those immediate hours following, we were talking about some of the, the people on TV during the coverage who really just were, were shining, some of the ones who who weren't. You've had to be on TV during some not so great times during some some unexpected times where you've had to do additional coverage maybe not with something as significant and as as quite literally life and death as this but what's the biggest key towards handling these types of unique situations for you as a broadcaster what what do you want to do and what do you not want to do you know what mike i honestly i think the first thing you have to have is you 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 have to have a heart and you have to have empathy for the situation for what is what's currently happening you need to understand that what we're watching is just a game, that it's, it's so much more than a score or teams on the field, that these are human beings, that, that you know, they have lives, they have families, they have people that care about them. Um, and I think you know, once you saw the image of when DeMar Hamlin goes down, you know, everybody kind of talks about, you know, when did you know something was serious? You know, for me... It was when the medical staff first got to him and the urgency in which they reacted after they, after they got to him. And then all of a sudden you saw teammates and opposing players and the urgency that they felt right in that moment. And you knew that this was a little bit more serious than maybe, you know, a knee injury or, you know, even, you know, you know any kind of injury that maybe that we've all seen over the years. And so I think when, when you're on TV and you have to talk and there's not a whole lot of information, I think you look at what you see, but you have to have, you have, to have a heart about what's going on in that, in that current moment. And, and you're 100% right, whether it was the broadcast crew on Monday Night Football, whether it was Scott Van Pelt afterwards on, on SportsCenter with Ryan Clark, and, and all of those people, you know, they're human beings too, and they, and, and they felt that they're, you know, those feelings uh, but I thought they did a great job of understanding, like, look, it's just a game. And, and at the end of the day, that's really not that big of a deal. DeMar Hamlin's life and his family and his teammates, that's really at the forefront of, of everything that's, that's going on. Because, you know, those, those folks, you know, they had to watch a medical team who did a fantastic job that had to perform, perform life-saving measures in order to keep that young man with us to this day. And the fact that he is doing better and better each and every day is is the best possible news and outcome that we can hope out of this. There it is. Take notes out there, young Kent Spencer's listening in the car, trying to be the next Kent. They're, they're writing this down. Uh, he is Kent Spencer. He's the best. Follow him on Twitter at WHS11Kent and watch him, obviously, on WHS11 for his fantastic news broadcast. Kent, uh, always appreciate the time, man. Can I just say one thing? Absolutely. You can say many can things. We, can we get more videos of Trevor <laughs> eating things that he does not want to eat? No, no. Hence, this, this, the salad video may have been the best thing that I ever saw in my life. And he looked like a baby eating a lemon for the first time. He is very much a baby. And whenever he has to eat anything that's not a hamburger with just cheese, he, he makes that face. It's... <clears throat> disgusting to me the video in and of itself is disgusting it's disgusting to me how much people just enjoyed it because the most common response i've gotten is i loved it it was so funny i showed it to my wife or my girlfriend or my significant other and now she hates me forever um 
I did not show the spit up lettuce that was somehow all over the table there. Um, <laughs> it was it was just car- I thought it was going to go poorly, Kent. It went ten times worse than I could have imagined. <laughs> well, I dug it, and the reason why you didn't show the spit up lettuce. <laughs> Is because this is a classy show, and you're classy. <laughs> you're damn right. Uh, Ken, happy New Year to buddy. Uh, we'll be talking to you again soon, I'm sure. Absolutely. Same to you, buddy. All right, that's Ken Spencer. We don't need the music yet. We, got, we still got some time left. We still got some time left. We don't need the music yet. We can, we can, we can take it to the top of the hour. We're good. We're good. We've got, uh, we're have got. we going to have Jeff Greer on at 4, so we can talk for a few minutes. I do want to set the table for, for Jeff a little bit, because we're going to talk to him about Cardinal basketball, but... There's a huge story going on in the world of college basketball, and Jeff has covered the sport nationally as well. Chris Beard, who was arrested near the start of the season, I guess about a month and a half ago, and charged with um, choking his fiance. essentially. He's been fired by Texas. This is the statement that was released today. It was about 2 o'clock this afternoon from Texas Vice President and Athletics Director Crystal Conte. He said, the University of Texas has parted ways with Chris Beard. This has been a difficult situation that we've been diligently working through. Today, I informed Mr. Beard of our decision to terminate him effective immediately. We thank Coach Rodney Terry for his exemplary leadership, both on and off the court at a time when our team needed it the most. We are grateful he will remain the acting head coach for the remainder of the season. We are proud of our student-athletes, coaches, and staff who throughout this difficult time have continued to make us proud to be Longhorns. It's <clears throat> Texas is a big-money institution that paid a significant amount of money to land Chris Beard after doling out tons of money to hire what they thought were going to be big-name coaches over the last decade and a half who just didn't turn Texas into the national basketball powerhouse that they expect to be. They don't make this move lightly. I know the fiancé a week and a half ago or two weeks ago, dropped charges and said that that Beard was defending himself. And Texas must have done their due diligence here. I mean, the the word diligent is in the second line of of the press release there. They had to have found that there was more to this than what Beard was trying to get out, that, that, that he was the aggressor or that it was just as bad as the initial details indicated because this is not a move that they make lightly, especially when you've got a top 10 basketball team, you've got a big time recruiting class coming in. I don't know what happens with AJ Johnson. We can talk about that a little bit later. You don't make this move unless you feel absolutely positive that he was very much in the wrong here. Now, Beard has released a statement through his own attorney, which says the following. Chris Beard is crushed at the news that he will not be, and I have to say this, couching is the the typo in the very first line. Of the, it's a tough look for the attorney. You, you can't misspell coaching in the very first first line of this, uh, of the, this press release, which is exactly what he did. Chris Beard is crushed that he will not be couching at the University of Texas. At the outset of Chris Beard's suspension, the university promised they would con- conduct an independent investigation surrounding the allegations and make a decision regarding his employment only after they had done so. They proceeded to terminate Coach Beard without asking a single question of him or his fiance. Since the arrest, there have only been positive developments clearly demonstrating his innocence. Additionally, it is my opinion, shared by others, that any potential charges against Coach Beard will be declined very soon. This is in addition to the this is in addition to the statements made by his fiance that emphatically state that his original reports were inaccurate. I am concerned that the University of Texas has made a terrible decision against the interests of the university based on Twitter feeds and editorials and not the facts concerning a truly innocent man. The university has violated their agreement with the coach and we are devastated. Maybe spell coaching right. I'll take you more seriously. Sorry. Got to get that line right. It's a massive, massive move, not just for big picture with Texas basketball, but 
this specific season, they are a team fully capable of making a run not just to the Final Four, but winning a national title. I think they showed that early, early in the season when they dominated Gonzaga. They're still a top-10 team on Ken Palm. They just they did give up 116 points in a 13-point loss to Kansas State uh, on Tuesday. But they've got, they've got studs. They've got Marcus Carr. They've got Tyrese Hunter. They've got Timmy Allen. They've got a roster fully capable of being one of the best teams in, in college basketball when the season turns its attention to March. And now you kind of wonder how they're going to move on without the man who's been at the center of so much success in recent years, both at, uh, at Texas and A&M. Can you run that no-middle defense effectively without having the guy who's made it famous on the sidelines constantly barking at you? Didn't look like they could do it on Tuesday. They've looked okay since Beard went out, since Beard's been suspended. They have a loss to an Illinois team that doesn't look as good now as it did then. They haven't really played anybody of any consequence up until their loss to, to Kansas State on Tuesday. Like, I kind of, if you're asking about this season specifically, I'm kind of selling on Texas. I, I don't think you can, coaching matters a significant amount. Louisville fans found that out firsthand when Rick Pitino got fired right before the start of 2017-18, and you realized you can't just plug in anybody and any staff, even with a really, really talented roster, and not have it go from top 10 good preseason to narrowly missing the NCAA tournament. And I still think David Padgett did a, a terrific job with that team. But going from a Hall of Fame coach to a guy who's never done it before, you see what that drop-off is like. And I think Roddy Terry's doing a good job so far. I think he can lead them to the NCAA tournament, but they're not, in my eyes, a realistic national title contender anymore. Now, the second part of this is, where does Texas go from this point? And you've already seen it. You know it's coming. You knew it was coming. You've already got multiple outlets who are doing the requisite candidates to replace Chris Beard and using the image of Rick Pitino as their teaser. It's Look, you can get mad about it. It's just smart. I, I'm clicking on it. You put Rick Pitino up there on a could he be the next coach at Texas post? Yeah, I'm clicking on it. He'll be in the mix. He'll be talked about. It. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Rick Pitino will be a coach at a power conference program 12 months from now. This is his last year at Iona. He's he's not going to live in a one-bid league anymore. The NCAA exoneration has opened the doors to programs who maybe would have been hesitant beforehand. But you've got Georgetown that's about to open up. They've lost 25 straight Big East games. He had two kids and a niece graduate from there. He's got ties there. He appreciates the history. And the man loves the Big East. Texas has the money. It has the swagger. It has the, you know, they will talk to Rick Pitino, whether it's one of those two programs or somewhere else. He will be coaching at a power conference next year. Uh, we'll talk more about this with Jeff Greer coming up after the break. We'll also get his thoughts on UofL basketball, the improvements shown there, where they can go from here. All that good stuff is coming your way after the break. It's the Mike Rutherford Show. Keep it locked right here on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. I like Trevor's music better when he's not around. Like it's, it's, it's been better the last couple of days. 
Or is this your is this your work area? No, it's not. This is Trevor. Okay, I'm, Trevor does a better job working when he's not actually at the studio. <laughs> I mean, he's got it all mapped out. Going to this segment with this song. Going to that segment with this song. How many seconds to go into the song? The man's a planner. He oh, may he show is. up here at three o five every day, but he's <laughs> in his heart. He's actually a planner. Welcome back in, Mike Rutherford Show Thursday here on fourteen fifty and ninety six one The Big X. Uh, we talked just before the break there about the developing situation with Chris Beard at Texas. To talk more about that, and of course what's going on in the world of Cardinal basketball. He runs the second best U of L podcast in the city. Uh, he's got the second best hair on the show after Kent Spencer, who was on in the first hour. He's just second best, but we love him nonetheless. It's Jeff Greer. He's on now. Jeff, how are you, buddy? <laughs> what you always have the nicest intros for me. It's really, truly <laughs> delightful. Uh, we were talking. I didn't know what to. What's your official title? This is. I should know this with uh, with with the uh, racing Louisville. And Lou City, I was trying to give your full like rundown. Your full, what's the new working title? The the pro title. <laughs> uh, communications, uh, well, communications manager, soon to be director. There you go. And, and it's, I feel like go. that's an announcement, basically, on the show. It's a promotion. <laughs> we're, we're finding out firsthand. Uh, he also runs still the Floyd Street Tribune newsletter, which I do, you know, much to my own chagrin, have to constantly plug and tell people to read because he does a really good job there. Um, even though your most recent endeavor the, the ACC Super League was just ah man you are I, I don't know what's wrong with you I don't I don't know <laughs> what's going on there. it's a horrible endeavor I'm fascinated by it and I can't wait to read the latest installment but let's start with with UofL basketball here the cards lose by one on Tuesday night against Syracuse and you wrote about kind of the the dueling factions amongst the Louisville fan base right now the one faction saying hey they're improving they've covered three straight spreads they almost won a conference game the other night, and the other side saying, "I don't care that they're improving. They should never be two and thirteen. This is ridiculous. The fact that we're even in this position talking about improvement is absurd." And you're kind of saying, "You think both are right at this point?" Yeah, I mean, I, I know that that's like, if I were reading that, I'd be like, "This is this is kind of a cop out," um, but I, I think I'm there. I mean, I like I. I Louisville should never, ever in any season be 2-13. and 13. Like, just flat out should not be that way. If they're having a down year, you play through a non-conference schedule that has X number of bye games in it. A down year for Louisville, I mean, even, even at this point to be, I don't know, 5-10 and 10 or 6-9, and nine, you know, that's fine. Um, in, a, in a year where people coming into it were expecting it to be a down year, okay, yeah. Um, but two and thirteen, and the way that they have gotten uh, to two and thirteen, but especially the way they got to zero and nine, um, I, I totally get that. And you know, with the resources, with the history, I mean, the, the pride in the program just that should never be the case. That being said, having watched the first nine games and then see them uh, play well against Western Kentucky, mostly uh, because they were making shots and seemed to be energized by it played horribly against a really awful Florida A&M team and still won that game. Uh, but the last four games, quite frankly, they've looked reasonably better. I mean, even against Kentucky, y- y- the way they started that game versus the way they played through most uh, of it to get it back to, I think it was like 45-37, I mean, that's progress. If they had played that game in November, I think I wrote this, they would have lost by 1,000 points. Um, so uh, there is bona fide real progress that they're making. 
Um, but it's coming from a place that was pretty far down the totem pole and is, is just not somewhere that um, a lot of people are comfortable with. What's the biggest thing that you're saying in, in the recent improvement? I mean, is it as simple as, I mean, we talked about it on Wednesday, it looked like they played hard for, for a full 40 minutes for maybe the first time all season. Is it going with the small, smaller lineup, playing Mike James and Kamari Lands out there together more? Is it you know the, the players seeming to grasp things that they were missing early in the season? What's been the biggest difference these last couple of weeks compared to what we were watching in mid-November, early December? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all of those things, honestly, Mike. Like, I do think, you know, playing smaller, uh, understanding um, that they can stretch the floor a little bit with their five-man when it is Huntley-Hatfield um, and even Withers in that spot, they can they can be a little bit more creative getting paths open uh, for LLS to drive the lane um, and getting a couple more shooters out there. I think that has helped. They're not a great shooting team, but they do have some guys who can knock down uh, shots for them. Um, but I, I think the biggest difference is just effort and, and sticking with the game when things aren't going great. Um, something that really was a problem in those early games and they were playing good teams. I mean, they were playing some good teams in, in Hawaii. Um, like they would, the opponent would go on a, you know, 15 to two run or something like that. And you're just sitting there like, that's the end of the game. They're, they're not coming back. They're not making shots, and they they are defeated. And I think, you know, to go back to the Kentucky game as a good example, um, I mean, they got bum-rushed out of the gate. They had a bunch of horrible possessions in a row. I think they had uh, like three turnovers in the first two minutes or something like that. Kentucky into the first media timeout had every rebound. So even though they had missed three shots, they got their own rebound and, and converted. So, I mean... It, those were all those were factors that they were not dealing with earlier in the year, um, but we saw them getting some turnovers in that game. We saw them, uh, like you said, in the Syracuse game, they were going back and forth with Syracuse, who, by the way, is also pretty bad. Like that is a bad Syracuse team. Um, so the league is there. The the league is not going to be one where in previous years, and it hasn't been this way for a few years now. You have six, seven, eight teams where you're like the first four or five are legitimate top four top five seeds in the ncaa tournament and then you know the next three or four are ncaa tournament contenders and it's going to be hard to really beat any of them with a team that's struggling this much there is absolute pure chaos so if they're doing all these things that we're talking about you got to think that they might be able to nip uh, a couple of wins uh, in this league and and just add to the chaos but it's going to take them to get one of those, I think, to really give them the confidence and belief that they can get a couple. You mentioned the ACC. I'll give you a, a solid 30 seconds here to uh, thump your chest over Pitt heroically <laughs> returning from a 1-3 and start to be 4-0 in conference play, which includes back-to-back wins over UNC and Virginia. Is uh, it, Do a lot of people, including myself, maybe even you, owe Jeff Capel an apology right now? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I have never said once uh in ever that that he should not be the coach at Pitt. <laughs> i have always thought that we should be more patient with him um and i'm glad that my that my patience has paid off and my confidence in him um but no i actually was uh texting a couple of my friends uh who cover college basketball asking you know are you going to be uh, in pittsburgh this weekend for the biggest game in in the best uh, most historic conference in college basketball um, that there that there's going to be this year between Clemson and Pitt, the two best teams in the league, 
uh, and they all told me that they would not be there. Um, so, but no, Pitt's <laughs> playing well. And I, hey, I want to I want to just say one thing that's kind of fun. Um, Clemson and Pitt. Uh, I know PJ Hall is back for Clemson, but Clemson and Pitt are getting a lot of contributions from guys who we don't talk a whole lot about when we when we talk about the ACC. Um, Hunter Tyson at Clemson is a really good player. I think this is his fifth year. Uh, Jamarius Burton at Pitt is playing really well. I know Blake Hinson was a talented prospect um, who eventually found his way to Pitt and is having a really good year. They're doing that with P.J. Hall coming back from a significant injury for Clemson, and he's been obviously really good again. Uh, and John uh, Hughley is not playing right now uh, for Pitt, and he's supposed to be their best player by far. Uh, so kudos to those two teams for grinding out some early results and, and making things interesting. Do you think Coach K takes over at Duke uh, before the end of this month or before the end of next month? <laughs> I was going to say, do you think he'll take the uh, the Texas job? Uh, I, I, he, no, he, I, I can't see him hacking it at Texas. But uh, let's. I, I, I want, I've got one more thing to say about U of L. I do want to get your thoughts on Texas and more of the national stuff. Yeah, a lot of times, I think my biggest problem with the current state of Cardinal basketball outside of just being two and 13 is there's nowhere to really turn and point to as a significant reason for hope in the immediate future. You know, you don't, you don't have the recruits lining up in 2023 that are coming in. You didn't kill it in the transfer portal last year. Now you have to kill it this year. You know, all, all that stuff. The one thing that I will say, people are like, you have to be positive. Give us something last year. And you know, this better than I think anybody the dysfunction behind closed doors with that team was off the charts. And you would kind of hear a little bit of it. You'd hear players fighting. You'd hear coaches getting into it with players, all that stuff. We, we knew some of it. But this year, as bad as it's been, you haven't had players coming out and speaking negatively about Kenny Payne. You haven't had dads of players messaging you about this player was fighting this guy after practice or anything like that. <laughs> like, if nothing else, the players seem to have remained bought in to whatever it is that Kenny Payne and the staff are preaching to them, and they are seeing better results as time goes on. And while that may not be the, the most comforting thing in the world to every upset Louisville fan right now, it's not nothing, is it? No, I, I think that's, I think that's a, a decent point, and, and uh, I've had this conversation it, it, I will never forget, I was walking my, my wonderful dog, Lily, around the neighborhood uh, when a parent of a former Louisville player who I had not talked to uh, in like two years called me to try to walk me through what was happening in the locker room uh, at Louisville last year. So uh, there, were, there were a lot of um, moving parts with that group, and there was a lot of frustration and um, a lot of, uh, I guess, confusion and bewilderment over who was in charge. Uh, uh, of everything and what was going on, and especially after uh, Chris Mack uh, negotiated his buyout, um, then it was just really a tough position for everyone. And this group, you're right. I mean, this group has, has um, we haven't heard any of that. Now, I do know that that is something that not necessarily this specific issue, but just in general, this staff has put a real premium on secrecy and, and kind of keeping things in-house. I know um, pretty much everything that is sent out to them, uh, whether it's you know a message from compliance or, or marketing or wherever the, it's coming from. I mean, it is very much a small group of people who hear about things and on a, on a need-to-know basis. So there are a lot of people in that department who don't know a whole lot about what's going on with basketball, and it has been that way since March, uh, since Kenny Payne was hired. 
Um, and I don't know if that has uh, has something to do with it. Of hey, let's keep our issues, any issues that we have, internal, and let's talk about them. I don't know, um, but it does definitely give you at least, a, I mean, uh, a, a, an inkling of hope, uh, an optimism that you know these guys aren't aren't sitting there blaming, you know, turning the turning their um, arguments internal and getting frustrated with each other at least yet. Um, but I would say, Mike, they're only about halfway through the season. So uh, you got to keep the ship together for another couple months. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. <laughs> Wait, can, we, <laughs> can never just be overly positive here on the show. That's a, a staple. You're fitting right in. Uh, it's Jeff Greer on the phone here talking to us on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. We're talking at the end of last hour about the big news that broke about 2 o'clock this afternoon. Chris Beard out at Texas. Meteoric rise in the, the coaching ranks for him kind of be, went from unknown guy to biggest young-ish name in all of college basketball coaching and now is kind of just on his butt and not sure what the next move is going to be for him. How surprised are you that this move is being made in the middle of the season, especially considering it sounded like his fiance at least tried to walk back some of the stuff recently? My guess is Texas had to have found something, is, you assume. Yeah, and and you know with stuff like this, we always want to be, and I know you're this way too. Like you got to be a little careful, sure. just because there's probably a lot of stuff that people who are making decisions know that we don't know, um, and certainly uh, there's a lot of context there that we don't really get a full picture of. Um, and it, it, it's funny, I I, uh, I heard this quote yesterday. I think it was Michael Crichton who who had this quote, um, but it was. You know, something along the lines of when you read about something that you're into, you have intimate knowledge of, uh, your day job, say somebody wrote a story about, you know, the, the inner workings of your show, and you're sitting there and you're reading this and you're thinking, like, this is so off base from what I experience every day. And then we flip the page uh, and we read something about, like, Iran's nuclear program, and we're like, "Wow, I can't believe this story." Yeah. Um, so I always, so I always like, I always try to pause a little bit with this stuff, and 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 just think that there's got to be more going on that we don't know about. Uh, and in this case, look, I mean, it's got to be a level of no tolerance that Texas had, and I know they've been burned a couple of times with some behavior stuff with coaches in the past. So, um, my assumption is, is just at some point, Chris Beard is going to resurface. Um, and, and we'll just hope that the issues that he is dealing with are, um, they're clearly, he's got stuff going on, uh, that he confronts them and deals with them and, 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 you know, in the long run is better for it. And obviously whatever his relationship is, um, I care more about her than I do him. Um, and I think most people would say that hopefully, but, um, but yeah, it would have to be relatively serious for them to, to just say, dude, you're out now, uh, especially when they're as good as they are. They are really good. There's no question about that. I still, I was saying before you came on, I'm kind of out on them big picture just because I do think a head coach like Beard does make that much of a difference. And we've seen a team uh, in turmoil with a interim head coach, how that sometimes can work. Uh, you know, they've They've not been terrible since Ronnie Terry took over, but they haven't beaten anybody of any major consequence, and they just you know slipped by Oklahoma and gave 160 points to, to Kansas State. H- how do you think the rest of the season goes for a very talented Texas team that now finds itself in a, a state of turmoil? Yeah, it's it's kind of like um, you know it'd be the equivalent of the the Louisville the 2017-18 Louisville squad getting halfway through the season and then having David Padgett take over, and you, you, you always like. Because that team was good, 
and, and had good players and was coming off of a good season. And in the same vein, I mean, Patino is just such an impactful, I mean, the best coach in modern college basketball, I think, from an X's and O's standpoint. Um, at least you could argue that. And, you know, Chris Beard, like you said, is that is a huge influence on on your program. For someone who is as good of a coach as he is, especially defensively, uh, to not have that person in their basketball mind, regardless of all the other stuff uh, that's going on with him, and clearly uh, not great uh, that he has done some of the things that he did, um, but basketball-wise, there's no denying what that impact would be. Um, it's a it's a short list of guys, and so I, I just who would have that impact uh, at this level, and I, I just worry that not worry, but I think Texas is. I agree with you. I, I think they're uh, in too tough of a league. Uh, for that not to have an impact on the rest of their season. I'm firmly of the belief that Rick Pitino will be coaching at a Power 5 conference program, Power 6 conference program next season. Texas doesn't seem like the most ideal of fits, but is that a place that could come calling for the uh, the Hall of Famer? Uh, I agree with the first, with the premise. I definitely agree. Um I think he would. <laughs> I think he would increasingly be intrigued by stuff like that. I, I, I think if this was like two years ago, he probably would say like, "I'll only coach at you know St. John's, Miami, that kind of thing." Um, but now I, I, I'm. I, I've heard, and I know you've probably heard similar rumblings that he's just like kind of chomping at the bit to to get back at that level. Um, that's a really intriguing job and knowing the resources that they have, I think that would be um, certainly interesting for him. And it's not like Austin is Lubbock. I mean, it's, it's a a pretty um, uh, upbeat growing, constantly growing city in a place that I think he would enjoy. Um, So yeah, I, I think that would be fascinating if that was something that came about, but I would bet money on, other, I would I would bet the field over Rick Pitino right now. Going back to the ACC really quickly because you, you mentioned it in passing. It's not once again not a great ACC. Last season it was not great. They sort of saved themselves with the, a couple of deep runs in the NCAA tournament. What's I mean, Duke and North Carolina both have high preseason expectations. Carolina coming off the national title game run. Duke coming off a of Final Four. A lot of talent with John Shire um, bringing into the fold. Like, are you, Where's your panic level with both of these teams, especially when you're taking into account last night, Duke's performance against NC State, which was abysmal? Yeah, I mean, well, it wasn't it like it was like thirty to eight with like ten minutes left in the first, like they had barely gotten on the board. Did they even have eight points? Um, it was brutal. I, my, my concern with Duke is, is not super high though, because, um, they're just kind of in the process of getting lively and whitehead back into the mix. And obviously those guys are super talented, but as, as everyone knows from following college basketball and any sport, it does take a little while, uh, to reintegrate, um, people into your lineup and, and get them feeling comfortable playing again. So I, I, I think they'll be fine. Um, uh, by, you know, by Duke standards, I don't think they'll be, I don't think they'll like rise to number one in the country at any point, but I do think they'll end up being a, a decently seated team and they'll be fine. Um, I'm not at all concerned about North Carolina either. 
I think something that and I'm sure you've talked about this, Mike, and, and have thought about it too, but like, I feel like people forget that North Carolina was pretty bad last year for a long stretch. Mm -hmm. Like they were not a good team. They got hot at the end of the year, won a bunch of nice games, got in the tournament and made a run with a bunch of like McDonald's all Americans and top 75 recruits, but nevertheless still went through a lot of growing pains through the season. Now you would think that that would not be the case coming off of that with all of the same guys. Um, But I guess for me, I'm just kind of assuming that at some point that, you know, the war of attrition will, will take over for them and they'll win a lot of grind out games and then they'll get out of the league and they'll be fine uh, in the NCAA tournament. I I still think that they're really freaking good. And um, the way RJ Davis has been playing, just assume that he'll win them a lot of games (laughs) because he just, he's had some incredible uh, outputs over the last, um, well, since the season started. This is the time of the year where like, it's become as much of a consistent thing as the whole like historically weak bubble, which I, I always love making fun of. <laughs> but early January, I feel like we do this thing every single year where the calendar flips, where we say, "Well, there's no great team in college basketball this year. A lot, a lot of good teams, no great." It's like, well, we don't know. Like, I mean, who's to say that Kansas isn't going to rip off 20 straight wins or something before they go to the NCAA? Like, you, you just don't know. But right now, no undefeated teams after New Mexico loses the other night. The best teams in the country have all looked vulnerable at various times. So for your you know, basketball Benny mind, who's the best team in college basketball right now <laughs> in the first full week of 2023? Um, ah, that's, that's really hard. Um, I mean, uh, let, me, let me start by giving you who I'm thinking about. Okay. Um, I still... I always will like the team that has the number one defense. I always like teams that are really good. I know, I think Tennessee is still there. That's correct. Um, I, I would not pick them. They won't end up being my pick, but I would, I would keep them at least in the, in the fringe conversation. I loved UConn until I watched them against uh, my, uh, one of my second favorite team in college basketball, Providence, uh, from my home state, um, and watched Noah Locke and Providence destroy them. Mm. Uh, so I... I I'm a little shaky on them. I, I think, Mike, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but even with the, even with kind of the curse that seems to be on them, I, I really like Purdue. I, I really like Purdue. Um, Gonzaga, you just assume by the end of the year they'll be fine. So I think I, that would be my – I feel like I'm forgetting someone, but that would be my group. I, I assume that, like you said, there's a bunch of teams that you could throw in there that you that could win – 15, 20 games in a row, um, and there's like six of them in the, in the Big 12. So um, there's a bunch of them that are real good, and I just assume one of those will be there at the end uh, in the Final Four, if not two. So I don't know. I feel crazy saying this, but I just really like Purdue, and I think Matt Painter's a really good coach. So you're saying no great team in college basketball this season? Correct. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's wide open. It's wide open. Well, it's it's just funny because like, well, what, I can't remember what year it was. Maybe two years ago when Gonzaga and, and Baylor were both like twenty five and zero to start the season, and you're just like, those are the two best teams. Yeah. And then as the season progressed, there are a couple others that were also really good uh, in that mix. But but you know, we just kind of assumed that they would be there at the end. And some years you just have a bunch of teams that are struggling to get out of the gates or, or are like an unconvincing 13 and two. And like, I would put UConn in that 
category now after starting so well. Um, so you just have to sustain it for 31 games, which is really hard to do. I did a, a college basketball podcast yesterday, and I'm like, all right, getting back out there, flexing the muscles. Like, it feels good. And everything that I said wound up being wrong. Like, <laughs> like they, they have you. I was talking about how I was like, I think there are great teams. I think UConn is still great. The Xavier loss is excusable. They're going to beat Providence tonight. I took Arkansas to cover against Missouri. <laughs> I said, uh, you know, Georgia's a, like Mike White was a bad hire. Auburn's got dudes. They'll win that game out right on the road. The only thing that I wound up being right about was TCU over Baylor, which looked like it was going to be wrong. But it was just nice to, like, say all those things. Things, then go home last night, watch the games unfold, and be like, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything. Nothing has changed. Um, but well, uh, that's well, the way it I'll works. I'll tell you, the o- Mike, the only two things that I know are my alma mater is four and zero and atop the ACC standings. It's true. And my favorite college basketball coach has a monster at TCU. So between those two, uh, we are we're everything's coming up. Uh, everything's coming up great right now. It's, everything's it's coming up, great. Jeff. It's it's Jeff twenty three. That's what they're calling it out there. I love um, that. <laughs> he is Jeff Greer. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Subscribe to his uh, his newsletter, the Floyd Street Tribune. Check out his plod, uh, podcast, Floyd Street's Finest. After you listen to the Card Chronicle podcast, it's fine. Uh, and, and you know, support him at Racing Lou. He's now he's a director or whatever he said his job title is. He's 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 fan, he's, he's taking over the whole franchise. He's killing it. Uh, Jeff, always appreciate the time, buddy. We'll be talking to you soon. All right, thanks, Mike. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, good stuff from Jeff Greer. Truly, subscribe to the pod, to the podcast. Subscribe to the newsletter. Jeff does good work. We we give him crap because we love him. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll get into the big uh, stories of the day. We'll talk Louisville football recruiting. Gorgie Zhang, what's going on with him? And take some text at 502-414-1450. We'll be right back here on fourteen fifty. The Big Eyes. Welcome back in. Mike Rutherford Show here on a Thursday on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. Man, I was feeling kind of – I was sweating in here yesterday, Gary. Like, I had – like, everybody was in here. Poor Matt McGavick. He's taking off the jacket. I'm taking off the, the sweatshirt. Patrick is sweating bullets back there in the production room. And then I go home. I go to take the garbage out at, like, 8, and it's dropped 35 degrees. It, yeah, it's a cold front moved through last night after the rain. Insanely cold. I get up this morning. Uh, I've got to go to the doctor. I'm expecting to go out in what I'm wearing right now, which is just like a sweatshirt and, and pants. I take two steps out on the front porch. I'm like, nope, back inside, grab the coat, get out to the car, realize i got to get the, the ice scraper. It was, it was a, a rough morning. I didn't see it coming. It hit me like a ton of bricks. The weather changes a lot here in the Ohio Valley. That's what they say, Gary. That, that's what they say. People tell me that for years. I, I do have a – this is a – Are you comfortable today because I noticed the window's open? And that was from yesterday. I didn't. I just haven't closed it from from today. I need 40, to. Yeah, forty seven outside. I know. So. I probably need to go and close it again. <laughs> I left it open from yesterday. I saw it when I came in. Well, it's comfortable. Uh, well, we're separated by a piece of glass uh-huh. and a door. Uh, it's, it's pretty comfortable in on this side of the glass. It's still warm in here, so it, it feels okay with the window. But I probably will. I need to go ahead and shut we'll, that. We'll roll in the big fan. <laughs> <laughs> the big fan. We. Um, th- I love giving. Proper shout-outs. This is not a, a sponsor plug or anything like that. But I do want to say I've been going to – this is not the plug. I've been having to do 
tests and, and doctor visits had all been a bunch the last few months for you know, whatever. And the last couple of times I've stopped by because I'd seen a special, I'd seen a couple of things written about this place off popular level called Maya Bagel Express. Can't recommend it highly enough. If you are a, a bagel person, stop in. It's authentic New York style bagels. They, first of all, the guy who takes your order calls you boss every time. And it makes me feel so good. He's like, what, he's like, what do you want, boss? I'm like, I just, that's all I wanted. I, I just wanted to be here and have you call me boss. It was Is it great. close to Ottoman? It's right there. Yeah, right oh, there okay. off Poplar Level. You come out of Auburn, you, you take a left. Uh, it's right there in that little complex where there's a, this Qdoba right next to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's right there. Uh, Panera's on the other side. But if you want to give it a shot, I've been there twice now. I feel confident in making the recommendation. Terrific bagels, terrific people. They call you boss. They got the authentic New York accents back there. Y- you feel like you're in the Big Apple. It's great. Or so, so I'm told. I've never been to New York besides in passing. But I hear they have great bagels. As long as they don't call you dude. As long as they don't call me dude. Uh, but the, <laughs> this place definitely has great bagels. All right. Uh, positive football news. I think positive football news to get to. And we're going to have Keith Wynn on at 515 to talk more about what he thinks on the football front. We're going to talk about this, and then I'll get to the Thornton sex line, 502-414-1450, and take all of your crazy thoughts and, and concerns. But it could potentially be another huge recruiting weekend for Jeff Brom and company. Not because they've got a bunch of guys coming on campus. That's not happening. But two commitments are being made from two very highly touted players who both may wind up picking the cards. One of them is a name that you're very familiar with. Jamari Johnson, the tight end, um, four-star tight end out of Inglewood, who has been committed to Louisville for a long time, did not sign with the cards on National Signing Day, has been heavily recruited by Oregon, who are hoping to flip him, He's now down to Oregon, Louisville, Pitt, and Cincinnati, he says, which is kind of a a blow. But he's going to announce his commitment on Saturday where he's partaking in the Adidas All-American Bowl. And you never want to put the car before the horse, but it sounds like the buzz is good as far as Johnson sticking with his commitment to Louisville. He reportedly, and I think he's actually said so much on the record, been very impressed with Jeff Brom and the way that he uses his tight ends. Brom is known as a head coach who is, you know, at, at both of his stops, is going to use the tight end very heavily in his passing attack. I think that excites a guy like Jamari Johnson, who's known as a, uh, a pass catcher. Six foot five, 265 pounds, can certainly block, but can certainly get out there and make plays in the open field. Four-star tight end, y- you need to replace the production that you're losing from some of the guys who aren't coming back, namely Marshawn Ford. He can certainly help you with that and also be your tight end of the future. That's one to keep an eye on. The other announcement that people are, understandably, very excited about. Five-star edge rusher, linebacker, TJ Capers. Coming out of Florida, he's going to go ahead and make his commitment. He's a, this is a class of 2024 player, but he's going to go ahead and announce his commitment on Saturday as well. And rivals today. Trying to find the writer's name. Adam Gorney, who's the Rivals.com national recruiting director. Here's what he had to say about the, the announcement that Capers is making. Although it's about a year until National Signing Day for the 2024 class, Capers seems ready to make his decision with Louisville, Georgia, Colorado, Miami, and USC as his five finalists. The Miami Columbus five star linebacker will absolutely still be pursued after his commitment this weekend, but it looks like the Cardinals are the favorite at this point. The new staff has come on for Capers, and he loves the defensive system and how involved the linebackers are in it. My prediction is Louisville. TJ Capers is not just a five-star kid in the class of 2024. 
He's the number five overall player in the class of 2024. He's the number one linebacker and the number five overall player. He would, and I think this probably goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, he would be the highest rated football player to ever sign with the University of Louisville. Should that come to fruition? Well, he'd be the, he'd be the highest rated player to ever commit to the University of Louisville, even if he doesn't wind up signing with Louisville. And I get what every Louisville fan or most Louisville fans listening to this are thinking right now, which is not buying into it again. Ruben Owens, number one running back in America, signed with us or committed to us, got a tattoo of the 502 area code on his body, which I'd love an update on. Stayed committed, said he wasn't taking any visits anywhere else, said in every interview throughout the football season that he was Louisville only, and then he wound up signing with Texas A&M. DeAndre Moore. Thoroughly committed until he wasn't. We've got a year until National Signing Day. I'm not going to get excited. That's fine. I'm not going to judge anybody who says, you know, fool me seven times, shame on you. Fool me 95 times, shame on me. I'm still going to get excited about the fact that a kid who's the number five overall player and the number one overall linebacker in a class is potentially going to commit to Louisville over four programs, one of which is the reigning national champion who's one win away from becoming the back-to-back national champion and Colorado who's got the biggest name in coaching now taking over the program, Miami, the hometown school with multiple national titles under its belt, and USC, the West Coast powerhouse that, of course, has also multiple national titles under its, its belt, that he could potentially be spurning all four of those schools to commit to Louisville on Saturday. Even if he doesn't wind up signing with us, that would be a terrific day for U of L athletics. And if he does sign with us, then clearly it's terrific news. We'll talk with Keith about that and more coming up at 515 when he joins the show. Now, I've neglected the text line all day. I apologize. I said it was going to be a heavy text line at the beginning of the show, but we had guests on. Kent took too much time. Jeff took too much time. They, they, they hate the text line. That's their fault. But 502-414-1450 is the Thornton text line. We'll get some thoughts from you guys now about what's been going on. Texter says, cue the music. Johnson, AJ Johnson, AJ Johnson, AJ Johnson. We could be back. I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen. I don't know what's the deal with AJ Johnson is. But the A.J. Johnson update of the day could be returning. It's certainly certainly within reason. It's certainly possible. Having said that, I think we need to remember the lessons that we learned when Scott Satterfield left Louisville for Cincinnati. Johnson, if you're unfamiliar, was the five-star point guard that Louisville fans turned their attention to after D.J. Widener went ahead and committed to Kentucky and who seemed like he was going to be very interested in Louisville. And then at the last second, pulled the plug on his visit to town for Louisville Live, said he was going to reschedule, never rescheduled, and then ultimately ended up uh, committing to Texas like shortly thereafter and, and, and signing with Texas. If you're of the belief, which most Louisville fans seem to be, that Johnson's commitment to Texas was primarily fueled by NIL, he probably isn't signing with the head coach. He's not going there for the head coach. Look at Louisville's recruiting class, which I think most of us agree or can acknowledge was, if not primarily, was heavily influenced by NIL. When Scott Satterfield went to Cincinnati, not many of those guys followed him. Barely any of those guys followed him. A couple of those guys stated on the record 
they committed to Louisville. They didn't commit to Scott Satterfield. Now, maybe it's a little bit of a different situation when you've got Chris Beard, who is one of the bigger names in college basketball coaching, Scott Satterfield. This is not a shot at him. It's just a fact. Is not one of the bigger names in college football coaching. It's possible that that Beard played more of a, a role in Johnson signing with Texas than Satterfield played in guys like Pierce Clarkson, Ruben Owens, DeAndre Moore, Madden Sanker committing to Louisville did. But I would not be shocked at all if Johnson stays firm in his pledge to UT, depending on who they wind up hiring. If it ends up being, and I can't imagine Texas is going to swing and miss on a bunch of coaches. They have too much money for that. But if it winds up being a lukewarm hire, then maybe he says, yeah, I'm keeping my options open. But my guess is the he wants the deal that was offered. But it'd be nice if he didn't. It'd be nice if he didn't. I'm just saying. Texture says, uh, Greer took shots at your podcast on his podcast yesterday, Mike. You should answer his call, then tell him Pitt sucks, and then hang up. He just said that he was his podcast was better, and I disagree. He's, his podcast is the second best. It's the second best in the city behind mine and like eight others, but that's okay. Would that have been the the equivalent of the the Boston sports radio show who had Rick Pitino on a few years ago and welcomed him in and just said, you ruined the Celtics and hung up on him? Which I always thought was kind of a crappy thing to do, but at the same time, I I laughed. I chuckled at least a little bit. Uh, Texter says, and this goes back to uh, Gary, who's producing the show today, talking about how his birthday was yesterday, my wife's birthday was two days ago, and they both agree that they have just pretty crappy birthdays. It's a terrible time of the year to have a birthday. And Texter says, my girlfriend's birthday is December 30th, and mine is January 2nd. She's three days older than me, which makes her a cougar. Like that. <laughs> I enjoy that. But also, those are two terrible birthdays. And you know, every, the sad thing is, is like every, all of your friends, I guarantee they try to lump you both now into like the holiday celebrations. Like when people get together for a Christmas dinner or, you know, drinks for New Year's, it's, and it's also so and so's birthdays. Let's celebrate. Like you, hey. just, you don't get your own experience. It's, it's not fair. I always hated my birthday. Because it was so close to the beginning of school, I'm August 27th. So it was always when you got into the the, the, the doldrums of summer, and you start like you know, I every kid loves their birthday. So I would start getting excited about my birthday when you know, late July would come around, early August would come around, and then I realized I was also looking forward to the start of school at the same time, which just made it suck. There were two times growing up where my birthday was on the very first day of school, which was awful. Did you like going to school? I hated it. Could oh, not you have, did? could not have hated it more. Wow. Even at a young age, I, my brothers, I've got. I have two older half-brothers who are both – they're 15 and 12 years older than I am. So they were like teenagers when I was growing up, and they still bring up the fact that I would wake up on like preschool and be like, I can't go to school today. I can't, I, I, they're like every day you woke up and you're like, I can't do it. And now Virginia is very much me. She, she's just – she's not having it. And I, I never had a reason not to like it. Like I, I had friends. I did well enough at school, like I, especially when I got older. Like I – you know. It was fine. I just I did not like it. Just I always it. thought that, and I knew someone who grew up in Bowling Green, and they had uh, morning school and afternoon school, and he didn't go to school till uh, like noon every day, That's and the they they would get out at six. Yeah. I mean, you could you know go to morning school or afternoon school, and I always thought that I was always much better in my afternoon classes than Same. I was in my morning classes. And I've told my wife, who is a retired school teacher, I told her, I said, you know, 
if I could have gone to school in the afternoon, in the evening, I said, I could have done a whole lot better. And, and in my work career, I have worked a lot at night and enjoyed it. I'm much more of a night owl. And yeah. I did, it always made an amazing difference. Every now and then in high school, we would have like nine o'clock starts. Or if you had a snow day mm-hmm. where you would have like a nine o'clock start or a 10 o'clock start. And it always amazed me just how that extra little bit of sleep just made me so much more ready to go. <laughs> it makes so much of a difference when you're a lot younger. You get that 20 too. minutes extra sleep, and you're like, yeah. My, I mean, I'll never forget my freshman year at, at Trinity. Like, I really liked my my first period teacher. Uh, if you ever had Mr. Eckert back in the day, he was the best. Gene Eckert, he passed recently, but I'll see you on the boat. He was he was awesome. But it was first period. And, I'm again, I am a very slow riser. And you had parent-teacher conferences, and my mom was like, you know, my son has such great things to say about you. He really enjoys your class. And he was like, are you serious? He's like, he looks like he wants to kill me every single day when he's sitting there. He's like, I thought he was the most miserable kid I've ever seen in my I'm like, that's just me. That's every first period class. I just, it took me like a full hour to wake up. Did you start drinking coffee in high school? I should have. I didn't though. I, I didn't either. I, I didn't start until college, but that probably, it probably would have, I should have been like one of those kids on one of those dramedy series back in the early 2000s who somehow always had a coffee shop in their high school. Oh that, yeah. That would have helped me out a lot. Um, but yeah, it was, I was never looking forward to going back to school. Texas says Texas is going to hire Rick, aren't they? I, I'm with Greer in that I think that there are more likely landing spots. I think Texas will at least entertain the idea. But I can see the – I mean, the other one that's been out there for a long time is Georgetown, which seems far more plausible. Rick's a Big East guy. Georgetown's a historically powerful program that's fallen on hard times. That's kind of his wheelhouse. And, again, he's got familial ties. He had two kids go to Georgetown. His niece, Christine, um, Billy Minardi's, the late Billy Minardi's daughter, she went to Georgetown. Like, he has, he clearly is familiar with the university. He clearly respects them. And I think that that would be, if you're Georgetown now, where you may have had a problem with hiring Rick Pitino a couple of years ago, he's been exonerated. He's got the NCA clearance. He's got a new clean bill of health. Like, he's, go for it. Like, I, I, I can definitely see that happening. Texas says, apparently Beard is out at Texas. Come on, Kenny. Here's a chance to swoop in and get some recruits. It would be nice. It would be great. Also, the amount of people that I've seen who are like, take Kenny Payne, Texas. It's obvious joke. I get it. But it's he, he's not on the short list. Texas says, yesterday's show was a wild ride. Actually discussing a relevant topic in the first 30 minutes. Then Mike choking on a nut for 20 minutes interspersed with the world's creakiest door opening 400 times. <laughs> I'm sorry. I missed that. <laughs> it did. It was bad. It was. I, I got an almond. I had a I took a bite of a one like the those Nutrigrain bars right before we came back on, and then I could not, I couldn't get the nut dislodged, and it made for plenty of of entendre on the show. Coming up next, hiccups. <laughs> it was bad. I was I was like crying, and I don't have a cough button in here, which I I have. Yeah, you don't. I'm very upset about. It. I don't know why Trevor needs a cough button, and I don't. But I I just I, so when I cough, I just have to like lean slightly away from the mic and just cough it up, and it's terrible. It's awful. Uh, but he says. This was the highest rung of quality all around. It was it was a great show. We're trying to Matt may be back tomorrow. We're trying to get him back on to talk about the latest football happenings and, and all that good stuff. But yeah, it was it was a lot. Texas says, imagine if Texas A and M was still in the Big Twelve. UC versus TMA TAMU would be hilarious. I that would be great. I would enjoy it. Texas A and M is still going to be funny enough with Bobby Petrino back in the SEC because everybody in that conference hates him. Anybody who was there when he was at Arkansas still hates him. Texture says, look, I'm sorry if I misheard Kent, but nah, we better be NCAA good next season. If we miss the tournament year two, then Payne needs to go. He ought to be gone this year if he wins no more than four or five games, but can't land anyone, which, man, we were promised a bill of goods there. 
but that won't happen. This isn't the damn KFC Yum Center former player employment program. I feel like some fans would trade our future to appease our past, and it pisses me off. I'm with you on the first part. And Kent, he, I don't think he was definitively saying you don't have to be NCAA tournament good, but he said you've got to be significantly better than you are this year, which is, sure, that that's the lowest rung you've got to clear in year two. I'm with the texter in saying, I'm willing to overlook some of the things that happened this season, but you've got to be NCAA tournament good in year two. It's Louisville. It's a new era where transfers are immediately eligible, where you can use NIL, and you're a guy who was billed as this gigantic recruiter. And if you need, I mean, if we need five-star players just to be 20 win good, then it's not going to work long-term anyway. If he's not a guy who can make these guys who are going to come back from this year's team into markedly better players in year two and then take what should be, what hopefully will be an influx of talent based on the transfer portal and combine it all together into a team that at the very least is good enough to be in the NCAA tournament, if he can't do that, what hope do you have that we're going to be national title good five years from now even if he's able to start landing some five-star kids. I get that it's it's early. I get that it takes time to develop. But when we're talking about this process, we're not talking about the end goal being hearing your name called on Selection Sunday. We're talking about the end goal being Louisville basketball, being back to Louisville basketball, being back to a top 10 program, being back to competing for national titles on an annual basis. Just making the NCAA tournament in year two is not too much to ask, especially when you look at what other programs in similar spots have been able to accomplish in relatively short order. If he's the guy, if he's the man, if he's going to be one of the best coaches in college basketball five years from now, which is, if you're Louisville, you don't hire somebody you don't have that expectation for, then he should be good enough to get a team into the NCAA tournament next season. Texas says, you know Louisville last won in Rupp in 2008 and you all act like you are or even close to us. Who who acts like that? Nobody acts like that. Texas says, can you ask Jeff Rowe what channel the Louisville game will be on? Yeah, he didn't get there. We didn't make that happen. Texas Patino is going to coach A.J. Johnson, isn't he? I don't think so, but it would it would be tough. Texture says, one of my best friends has a New Year's Eve birthday, so he always gets Happy New Year. Oh, that's right. It's your birthday, too. Very much lumped together every single year. It'd be bad. But Mary's like, her whole thing is, if it's going to be this close that people forget it anyway or that it doesn't get properly celebrated anyway, I'd prefer it just to be on the actual holiday. Like, just go ahead and just make it a full-on celebration where I can just get lumped into that as opposed to, like, this fake, hey, I think maybe you can, like, isn't it your birthday? Like, all this, like, it's just, it's bad timing anyway, but... It's especially bad when it's immediately after all the holidays. I think it would be almost it, it would be better too if it was between Christmas and New Year's because like New Year's like once the ho- once the New Year's is over, then you're officially out of the holidays and everybody's like, all right, back to normal. Take the lights down, take the tree down, <laughs> back in a work cycle, and then you're like, oh yeah, it's your birthday, isn't it? Do you always take the tree down on January first? No, we we um it's usually like that weekend going into the New Year after New Year's. Oh, after basically okay. it's like whenever we have time to and i say we my my mary handles the tree so when she when she had the extra day off on the second 
she that's when she got the tree down. And then I took the lights down on her birthday pretty much. It's easy for us. We have a ceramic tree. I just take the light bulb out of the ceramic tree that's, and put it back in the closet. That's <laughs> the way to do it. Um, man, uh, it's yeah, it's the older I get because we I grew up having a real Christmas tree every single year, and I always said, you know, I, I want the real tree, I want the real tree. And the older I get, Mary handles the tree, and it's it's a fake tree. And I'm like, yeah, it's there's something to be said. There's something to be said for convenience. <laughs> Texas says, let's not forget that Texas also has a current player still on the roster despite a pending assault charge with an ex-girlfriend. I don't even remember that. I should know that. Texas says, a high school teacher and UK grad, I just want to say that, oh, this is a KRC text, which means, hey, we have to read it. This is the deal on the show. When people text in for the Kentucky Roll Call show, we still have to read your text. If you want to get your shows in for the tech, for that, or text in for that show, can't do it from three to six. High school teacher and UK grad, I just want to say I'm embarrassed of intern Jacob's essay. Jacob better have gotten his diploma already because I'm making phone calls to see if they will revoke it. Side note, when you all graduated from UK, did they hold your diploma hostage over parking tickets and overdue library book fines? It happened to me in 2016 over a $3 library late fee. Jacob, now I kind of want to hear the essay. They did, when I was graduating from college, they did do that thing where it was like they would hold your diploma if you had unpaid parking tickets or unpaid other stuff. And nowadays, if you go to renew your registration on your car and you haven't paid all your tolls. <laughs> I know. I've, I found that out firsthand. I yep. Because now we, we go to Jeffersonville every now and then for the show, and I, it's hard to keep track of all the tolls, and they, they make it so hard to pay them. It's, just, it's obnoxious, but do what you got to do. I had a buddy who was graduating from Dayton and wasn't sure if he was going to graduate on graduating weekend because he had like a class that was still kind of up in the air and he had a summer credit and he tried to work it all out. And his very mature, I'm ready for the real world response to the situation was to just not tell anybody in his family and have them come into town that weekend for graduation, plan their dinner out, plan their festivities, and just hope to God that he was going to get to hear his name called and walk across the stage. And he had no, and he finally had to tell his mom like the morning of, like, I'm not sure if they're going to like say my name and give me a diploma. And she didn't take it very well, but they did. He, he it was a happy ending, but I've heard several stories like that over the years. Well, when you were going to school in Dayton, did they have the, um, the red light traffic uh, cameras? that if you ran a red light, it automatically would take your picture and you would get a ticket in the mail. I know that was real big in Dayton. I was up in Dayton a few years ago. I I don't think they did. I I know that was a thing when I was in college, that it was becoming technology that was used. But I don't remember. I never had a car in the the two years that I was at Dayton, so that was never really an issue for me. But They they have a heck of a subway system. God. (laughs) But they – we're not hesitant to to give. I, I got parking tickets after I graduated from Dayton when I was visiting friends, like just for, for being more than six inches away from the curve, or like six inches, like, like closer than eight inches away from the driveway, or something. It was or uh, parking the wrong way. You yeah, know, I refuse to pay that one. If I'm yeah. ever arrested in Ohio, I'm screwed because I was like, you know what? I'm gonna take a picture of my bare ass and send this to them if they want me to pay. It. I'm not. I'm not paying this fine. Whatever it was, like I I think I went out there and actually measured it because it was like you are more than you're less than eight inches away from this driveway. I'm like, no, I'm not. I, I'm not at all. Like I went out, like I measured it and it was terrible. They were just trying to give me a ticket to give me a ticket. Absurd. Well, and and another good one is the um, street cleaning day. You forget to move your car. I, that, that happens to me still. Yeah. It's bad. What, they, what's it up to now? It was like $20, I think, last it's $20 time I got still. One. Okay. It's, it's still $20. They, I've gotten it once. They, to their credit, 
where I live, they let you know. They, yeah. they're, well, they do they're, over in the Highlands, too, where I live. There are a million signs on our street before street cleaning, cleaning days. You can't go five feet without seeing one of these smacking you in the face, being like, hey, idiot, move your car on Tuesday because we're doing street cleaning. Or, or when it's leaf cleaning day, when it's leaf pickup day, which I'm glad that they do. It's nice. It's a nice service St. Matthews has. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Five o'clock hour is up next. We'll be joined by Keith Wynn at 5.15 to talk some Cardinal football. Also have some thoughts on Trace Jackson Davis, Gorky Zhang, and big news for UofL football's 2023 schedule. All that and more coming your way in the 5 o'clock hour. Keep it locked right here on 1450 The Big X. Such a Trevor classic. I can hear his voice actually doing the Michael McDonald background vocals there. Such a long way to go. Like that's that's him. That's Trevor does it every single time. His presence still being felt on the show, even as he's touring the Louvre uh, a million well, miles he's away. The Louvre now. He's in the Louvre now. He's it's a world art gallery tour. That's what he's doing. Two he is. This is he's a, he's a museum buff. And he'll say what everyone else says the first time they see the Mona Lisa. I didn't realize it was so small. I think Trevor would be like, it's not that it's not that good. It's, it's nothing special. It's well, not he'll, that great. He'll be happy because they do have uh, fast food joints in Paris that we have here in, uh, <laughs> in the United States. They have Burger Burger King over there and McDonald's. and They do. When we, went to, when we went to Ireland, I was shocked. The only American pizza they had was Papa John's, and it was everywhere. Is that right? Everywhere. I don't wow. know if this was 2017, so it may have changed in the last five years or so, but it was Papa John's was everywhere. They serve beer at McDonald's in Germany. That's the way to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let the kids load up. When, nice. when, we, when you're with a bunch of kids, they're like, can we get a beer? No, 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 no. Apple juice or a stein. That's, uh, that's what they serve in their Happy Meals. That's the, but they the, serve babies wine over here. <laughs> well, that's that's the way they do it here, but we do it differently at home. We do, uh, unfortunately. it's you know, They've got it right. Uh, welcome back in. 5 o'clock hour here for the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. In about 10 minutes. We'll be joined by Keith Wynn to talk some Cardinal football. Speaking of UofL football and their 2023 schedule, I think we all knew this was coming. This has been the the worst kept secret in, I mean, hell, we knew it before Wake Forest played their bowl game, but Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman is on the move and officially is headed to be the quarterback at Notre Dame, which is pertinent to our interest because Louisville's hosting Notre Dame this coming season. We don't know when that game's going to be, but Hartman was the quarterback for Wake, brought a top-10 team into Cardinal Stadium this past season, and uh, he had a not-so-great afternoon. I believe they had eight turnovers. He threw four interceptions, I think, in the third quarter alone, and UofL rolled to a decisive victory over the Demon Deacons. I do like when when kids make this announcement. I don't know how you're not fully prepared for this in the social media age. Everybody knew he was going to Notre Dame. He makes the announcement he's going to Notre Dame. His Twitter bio, as he makes the announcement, still says quarterback at Wake Forest University. Just change that, man. Like, like make the fix. Get it done. Uh, the other, we've talked about the football recruiting news. I do want to save that for, for Keith. But the other thing that I, I, I had to get to here at the start of the 5 o'clock hour, we all know 
how toxic social media can be for fans, but especially for players at, at the college level. And there was a, a recent story. Fran McCaffrey's son, Patrick McCaffrey from Iowa, announced that he's he's taking a break. It's been a bad season for the Hawkeyes. He needed a break. He said he's dealing with with a lot of anxiety. I thought the, the reaction to that was actually very positive, and it, and it was a a nice sign in a world where you see very few of those. But the opposite of that was on full display in a tweet that was posted by Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana, who is, I mean, this is one of the better Indiana players in recent memory. This guy has been sensational. He's a preseason first-team All-American. He's helped Indiana get back to national relevance. I, When he decided to come back, it was basically a national holiday in Bloomington. He said this, you wonder why players experience mental health issues and problems. We're going to continue to get better as a team and continue this journey. Thank you to at Tim Weaver 20 for your words of encouragement. And this was a handwritten letter that apparently this gentleman, Tim Weaver, I hope it's the right Tim Weaver. If not, he's just getting piled on, but who this guy sent to trace Jackson Davis specifically. He wrote this. I know they'll never give this to you, which is illegal, but I'm writing it anyway. Not illegal to not give somebody a letter, first of all. That's just patently false. My favorite player of all time is Calvert. I'm assuming he's referring to Calvert Chaney. Not because he scored a lot, but because he was an awesome leader. Awesome and leader both underlined. You, on the other hand, are a horrible leader. Horrible underlined. Players get in trouble all the time, which means they didn't respect you or Woody, who also sucks as a leader, also in sucks, underlined. I hated that you guys cried to the refs after bad calls instead of keeping head in the game. Guys and cried, both underlined. Way too much celebrating after dunks and threes instead of getting back on D. The team has been soft for years, but this may be the softest team yet. Far worse, far underlined. You guys don't even seem to care anymore. So tired of the team stating completely flat, starting completely flat, and fan after fan after fan says they look at the players as if they would rather be anywhere else than playing. I'd rather watch a bunch of walk-ons getting their butt kicked than guys playing with zero passion. I was probably the only person who didn't want somebody back because he also sucks as a leader. I hope you two find some pride and become actual leaders. Otherwise, we'll end up eighth in the Big Ten again. You're all gutless quitters who keep getting humiliated. Take your NIL money and reimburse those who went to Kansas garbage. I don't even know what half of this means. But you see the point. You see what he's getting at. What? First of all, Tim Weaver 20 looks like has deactivated his account since he was tagged in this. But... What do you get out of this? I understand fans vocalizing their frustration with the state of the program with the team, certainly. Louisville's 2-13, and 0-4 and in the ACC. The fan base is frustrated. We've expressed our frustration. We talk about it every damn day on this radio show. I do it behind the mic. You guys do it on the text line. Other people do it other ways. But to single out a specific player and send them something this vitriolic that just attacks their character, what do you get out of that? And what do you think it accomplishes? Indiana's 10-3 and right now. 
Their only losses are to Rutgers, who's pretty good, Arizona and Kansas, who are very good. They still have the chance to have a tremendous season. And Trace Jackson Davis is one of the best players in America. If you don't think he's a fantastic leader, or you don't think he's tough enough, or he plays too soft, whatever. He doesn't need to hear that. He doesn't need it in handwriting placed on his desk or however the hell you give people letters in 2023. It's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. And I just don't understand, what is his response supposed to be? Okay, now I get it. It's time for me to toughen up. I wasn't trying before. I needed a wake-up call. And this handwritten note by Tim Weaver with random words underlined throughout and horrible grammatical errors and misspellings where he calls out me and one of my teammates, this is why I'm going to start playing harder. This is why I'm going to start being more of a leader. This is when I'm going to toughen up. It never happens that way. You never have go Hoosiers 2469 tweeting at a guy on on Twitter and saying, you suck, I'm tired of watching you, be better, and that guy coming out after a tremendous performance against Michigan five days later and being like, I was ready to pack it in this season, then go Hoosiers 2469 sent me some inspiring words, and that is really what, it was the catalyst to my performance tonight. I just don't understand the mentality. I, I, I don't, I get voicing concerns broadly. I even can get voicing concerns about specific players, but to message them individually with not, you know, pointed criticism, just you're a, a loser, you're soft, stop celebrating, get back on D. Like, I, I just, Tim Weaver's a loser. There's no way around it. Um, 502-414-1450 is the Thornton sex line. We could take some, some texts after we talk to Keith, but one last story that we needed to mention before we get into the football conversation with Keith, Gorgie Zhang. Uh, hero of the national title that we're going to be celebrating coming up, uh, I think, later this month against Clemson. T- almost 10 years ago, Gorgie Zhang was leading Louisville to a national championship. He's since had a I mean, very solid, almost decade-long NBA career. He was waived today by the San Antonio Spurs, who completed a trade with the Boston Celtics, uh, where they got Noah Vonley and gave up cash considerations and a future second round pick Gorgie not sure if this marks the end of his career with the NBA I think he signed a one-year deal with the Spurs they brought him back from as being more of a locker room guy someone who can mentor some of the younger players pop loves Gorgie who doesn't everybody loves Gorgie Gorgie I think has bigger aspirations beyond basketball court he's done a, a ton of work in Senegal I think that's where his future lies but curious to see if this winds up being the end of his NBA career, I'm not sure if he'll sign up with the team for the remainder of the season or maybe get a look somewhere next year. There was thoughts that maybe he was going to be done before this season. Then Spurs came calling. He couldn't turn down the opportunity. We'll see what happens now. But regardless, it's been a terrific run for Gorgie, who is one of the more fantastic human beings to ever come through UofL and, and really just the city of Louisville generally. All right, we're bringing him on now. Uh, he is the deputy editor over at Card Chronicle. You read his football stuff over there all the time. We're going to talk some pigskin with Keith Wynn, who rejoins us on the phone line here. Keith, how are you, man? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? Hanging in there. We're we're uh, we're we're working today. We've had some. Yeah, we, yeah, it's better than yesterday, where nothing was going right. We've had a better day today. <laughs> we're excited about it. Let's uh let's get into the football discussion. There's a, a a pair of announcements coming this weekend. We've talked about um, T.J. Capers, the five star player, who's the number five overall player in the class of 2024, uh, according to Rivals. 
And then Jamari Johnson, who's the tight end, who's been committed to Louisville for some time, is going to announce his commitment at the Adidas All-American Bowl game on Saturday. It sounds like things are, dare I say, positive on both of these fronts going into the weekend. Is is that kind of your understanding as well, Keith? Yeah, that's, uh, that's what I'm hearing, and that's what it looks like from the folks that uh... – you know, they get paid to, to, to talk to these kids and track these kids down. Uh, TJ Capers seems to be enamored with uh, with with the Louisville staff and the in Louisville as a city. Um, and you know, you know, one of the quotes that kind of stuck out to me is that you know he seems to be really uh, excited about the defensive scheme that they're bringing in, uh, which you know just just kind of is a little bit you know uh, you know unexpected from my standpoint. But I think it also you know tells us that you know they probably have a, a plan of what they're going to do with defensive coordinator, but. Uh, I think it's great that you know he was he's been to Louisville a couple times. Came over the summer for the 502 barbecue. Uh, came during the season as well, uh, and it seems like he just the city and the and the school really uh, you know uh, stood out to him. Uh, and I think that he has a mindset of kind of like Pierce Clarkson and, and the guys that we saw before, of potentially taking Louisville to a different level. Uh, from the quotes he's he's you know I've seen from him, so that's obviously a huge deal. He's one of the best players in the country, regardless of position. Um, you know, an absolute elite player. Uh, and I think you and, and anybody that follows me on Twitter knows I can't stand the word elite. You know, there's a level that you have to reach there. He is an elite player, um, has a size, has a speed, uh, and, and has the uh, production as well. So uh, definitely somebody that uh, would be a, a huge addition to the to the class to really jumpstart this next class. Uh, and then Jamar Johnson, you know, as you pointed out, he's been committed to Louisville the entire time. There have been some talks about him flipping to Oregon for a while now, but, you know, no one has really put that prediction in. No one has really called that. I think he's been very hard to kind of read as a recruit because I think he's been pretty straightforward and honest about the fact that he kind of likes other programs, but Louisville is really where he wants to be. Uh, But Oregon is obviously a place that's a little bit closer to home, um, you know, from a standpoint of where he's at high school right now. Oregon is obviously Oregon. I mean, they've, they've got all the things that you want from an NIL standpoint, from a branding standpoint, uh, and obviously they had a great season. Um, so I think that it is still up in the air a little bit, but it does feel like people, um, you know, in the know, you know, don't really feel like it's a complete, um, uh, you know, foregone conclusion that he's going to flip to Oregon. Uh, I think that he's spending his week with Pierce Clarkson at the All-American Bowl uh, right now. I think that's going to help him, uh, you know, secure the fact that he'll be uh, – you know, signing or committing on Saturday as well. With Capers, we were talking about this a little bit last hour. Louisville fans, I think, who have been bitten by the recruiting monster in years past, maybe very recently with Ruben Owens and DeAndre Moore, you know what's going to happen if he commits to Louisville on Saturday. There's going to be this general reaction of, cool, talk to me when he signs, right? Like, that's that's the thing that, that fans <laughs> do all the time. Let me know when he signs and I'll get excited. And you kind of understand it, but... Even if, let's say the worst happens, T.J. Capers, he's going to keep getting committed by other programs. Let's say he doesn't sign with Louisville. It's still not a small deal to have the number one linebacker in America, a top five player in America, announce that he's picking your program over the potential back-to-back national champion, USC, Miami, and Colorado with Deion Sanders. Like This would still be a very good day for Louisville football, regardless of what happens in the 12 months ahead. Yeah, I think that you know, one thing I'll, I'll, I'll point out, I remember, you know, when Teddy Bridgewater, Eli Rogers, those guys were announcing and things like that and playing these All-American games on national television. I remember when James Quick won uh, the, the, the MVP of one of those games. 
that stuff was exciting. It was fun, and it was really cool to see Louisville on that stage and getting that notoriety. Um, and it's great that those guys ended up coming, and maybe Tabers doesn't. I, I don't care. I think it's really cool to just see Louisville as a program getting back to a standpoint where people are going to talk about them in a, in a national level. And to do that, you've got to recruit. Recruiting is what the offseason is all about. It's what drives excitement. It's what drives people to talk about your program. Because even if you do have good see, get a good season, you get you know the nine wins, ten wins, whatever it may be, it's really it doesn't. There's not. It doesn't take long for that to kind of wear off from a notoriety standpoint. Recruiting is just what people talk about. It what it's what drives the the conversation. And for Louisville to be even a hat on the table is, is important. And it's something that I think from a fan base standpoint, I hope that people really kind of drive towards that as opposed to. Well, I don't. I want to wait till something happens. I mean, it's just that's just such a weird. If you're doing that, just stop. Stop watching. Stop even keeping up with recruiting because it's it's always messy. It's always silly. But you know, when it comes down to it, having a guy at this level, you know, not only stick, not only you know, commit to Louisville, but kind of stick to the program from last summer to now. It's another thing that also shows that Jeff Brom can continue this trend that we saw from last year, where guys at Ruben Owens level guys at DeAndre Moore's level are still going to be interested in Louisville as a program. And, you know, credit to guys like Pete Nata and John Heron to, to be able to keep selling this through the coaching change and credit to Jeff Brown for being able to land some of these guys. Now, of course, yeah, they got a sign, but I'm, I'm excited for the fact that there's the potential for them to continue this recruiting trend that we saw last year. As going back to Jamari Johnson, it sounds like you mentioned TJ Capers talking about how he likes the way that Louisville's new defense utilizes the linebackers. Jamari Johnson has said he loves the way that Jeff Brom has historically utilized his tight ends. I mean, this that style of offense has to be alluring for not just Johnson, but big-time tight ends that the Cards are going to be after in the future, correct? Yeah, I think that, you know, you've got another year. Uh, they've got a, the kid that's, that's graduating from Purdue this year. He's going to the Senior Bowl. You've got guys in the NFL right now that play to Purdue uh, you know, in his system. I think that, you know, you can go back to even at Western and they had guys. It's, it's a really good offense for especially a style of tight end like Jamari Johnson is. A very big kid, 6'4", 6'5", 250 pounds, and he can run. And, you know, when you can get those guys that are athletic and have that huge build and you can consistently show that we're not just going to be, a guy, you know, put up numbers from a, from a receiving standpoint, but you're going to learn, you know, be able to block, you're going to be able to flex out into a, a slot position you can show the nfl scouts that you can do it all in this offense that's going to be something that's going to be very helpful i think it's going to help in the transfer portal where they're still looking for guys on offense at receiver tight end probably running back they're going to be able to sell these things in this offense to say here's what we're able to do and guys are going to be attracted to it so you know it should really help that they just have this they have the historical you know data and video and film to to show these guys that hey come here and look what we can do in this offense Talking Louisville football with Keith Wynn here, a deputy editor over at Card Chronicle. Follow him on Twitter at Keith underscore Wynn. Uh, we talked on the show yesterday, Matt McGavick was on. We were mentioning Kevin Coleman, the wide receiver from Jackson State, who is a former four-star player, highly touted in all of the transfer portal rankings. He is on campus right now. He would be a – he's got game-breaking speed. He's a, a big-time player. How big of a deal would it be for Jeff Brom to land him and add him to this receiving core for next season? I think I think it's a plus. You know, I, you know, from my standpoint, I think they, you know, they've done a solid job in the portal already. They they filled some holes. They didn't have a ton of holes to fill. 
I think in the receiver position, you know, to be honest and transparent, I was really hoping they would go for a big time, a, a proven commodity guy. But I think what they've been able to do with who they've brought in and who they're looking to bring in, including Kevin Coleman, is to get kind of a, a sum of all the parts. You know, you already have Amari Huggins-Bruce. You have Braden Smith coming back. Chris Bell was able to flash a little bit. You know, to be able to have eight to nine receivers that you feel very good about from a standpoint of they've either played at the college level already as transfers or you've seen them what they've done, you know, at Louisville or other places, you can really kind of, you know, at least feel good about the fact that you've got to have a, you have a deep room of receivers, which at Purdue and at Western Kentucky, Jeff Brom was able to utilize that a little bit more. The last year at Purdue and the year before, they really kind of relied a little bit more on their number one guy. And that's kind of where, you know, maybe from my standpoint, I was kind of looking to see, will they bring in a guy that maybe put up a thousand yards somewhere or something like that. But if you can get a guy like Kevin Coleman, who's shown that he can play, you get, you know, other guys where, you know, you can, you can look at the, the, the accolades or the speed or the size or things like that. And you mix those in with the guys they already have. I think they have an ability to really make a deeper room, which as a Louisville fan, anybody that watched this past year, we saw that when you have an injury or two, a guy like D Wiggins, who should also be coming back, you, you, you really lose what you can do in the passing game because you just don't have the options. So I think what he's going to be able to do is bring in not just a guy like Kevin Coleman, who I think is, is has the potential to be the guy, but you also just have other guys that have the potential to really make sure you have, a, have, a, have the options to throw the ball around and move it around to different people. And one of the things with Jack Plummer as, as the transfer quarterback, the presumed starter, that's kind of one of the things he did pretty well at Cal this last year. Uh, and at Purdue, he spread the ball around in, in their short passing game pretty well, and you need guys that can take that short pass and take it into a big game. And if you have these guys like a Kevin Coleman with that type of speed, that's how you can make sure this offense can still take that next step. You mentioned Brom doing a good job so far of addressing positions of need. He, he did get a quarterback in, in Plummer. Um, he, he's going out there and getting wide receivers that have helped. Where is there still work left to be done? I mean, is it is it offensive line? Where do you think that Brom still needs to to fill some gaps before we have a twenty twenty three roster that we feel like is as complete as it can possibly be? Um, so I think you know it's hard to do a count because there's so much moving around, but I think they have about nine spots still open, which is which is a lot, you know. So one of the things I think he needs to do, obviously, is you've got to figure out. I think they're probably going to get another receiver or two. You probably need a tight end. Um, you know, running back is kind of thin right now with the, with the defections they had with three guys leaving. So you probably maybe need to have one guy there. I think the defense they've already addressed for the most part, you know, outside of maybe just a, maybe a corner or, you know, maybe if they want to get a middle linebacker, even though Monty Montgomery's coming back. But outside of that, I think you really look to shore up the offensive line. Uh, I think that Satterfield was looking to do the same before he left. Uh, they were already in on some guys. I think they need to look at left tackle. Um, or left guard, depending on where Michael Gonzalez ends up playing. He's been able to play a different spot on the offensive line. Uh, I think they'll probably have to add some depth there as well because some of those younger guys that, that came in you know, under Satterfield haven't been on the field yet. So I think there's, there's got to be some concern of why haven't they been able to get in the rotation and also you know, do they just have enough guys in general. So they have one positive, I think, is that first off, you still have another couple of weeks with the portal right now, then you have the other, you know, the post spring practice portal that'll open and you're going to have more fresh options to be able to look at to really, to, to address what you see after spring practice. 
because obviously I think I think highly of Louisville's roster, but there's changes. You know, there's there's guys that have left. There's 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 graduations and there's scheme changes, and they have to be able to get guys that fit what they do. So I think the I think the smart thing, and I think what they'll probably end up doing, just because it's just common sense in a sense, you know, to me, is that wait after spring practice, uh, you know, get a real evaluation on the roster from for the new staff, and then try to fill those holes or bring some guys in to maybe uh, strengthen strengthen the areas that they feel are weakness. So I don't think they'll put all their chips in right now. I think they'll take their time and wait till after spring and really try to address it then. And keep in mind, last year, last summer. You know, Louisville was able to bring in guys like Quincy Riley, Jarvis Brownlee, uh, Nicario Harper, who obviously ended up transferring, but was able to get on the field. There are going to be some guys that can make an impact for your team after spring practice based off of whatever happens at their school. So there's going to be some options there. Nationally, we got the news today that Sam Hartman, as expected, is making the transfer from Wake Forest to Notre Dame, which means he'll be playing at Cardinal Stadium for back-to-back seasons. I think Hartman's awesome. I think he seems like a, a fantastic kid. He's got a, a big arm. The one question that I have about his ability to make it work in Notre Dame is that offense at Wake Forest is so gimmicky. They run the super slow mesh. He just kind of stands there. I mean, what do you think about the fit of Sam Hartman in South Bend? You know, I think they kind of, you know, it's weird. I think Sam Hartman can make all the throws. And I think that's one thing that, you know, um, it's really what you have to worry about as a quarterback. You know, it's less about that gimmickiness to me as, as, as more of if they're looking to do more pro-style stuff, does his, is his arm good enough to make the throws? And, he, you know, he made a lot of throws outside the numbers, throws to the sideline. He can throw the deep ball really well. Uh, you know, doesn't work the middle of the field all as well. So I think that's going to be a concern. And I think that's part of that offense where they have that the pocket kind of collapses on them all the time and he's, He's kind of looking for those uh, those pathways to throw the football, and usually in the middle of the field you have three offensive linemen there. So I think that's really, to me, is yeah. Can he really adapt to being able to make the throws that he didn't have to make in that in that offense? But from a standpoint of you know the arm strength and the accuracy and all that, I think he has it. I just I do wonder if going to this offense. Uh, an offense that uses tight end a lot over the middle of the field and things like that. Can he really work? Can he do that without having you know the play action stuff and all of that? Uh, I think it's a fair fair question, but to me, I think that he's underrated from a standpoint of how good uh, he is at making those NFL type throws. You know, across the field, outside the numbers, down the hashes, and stuff like that. I think he's really great at that. My biggest concern for him, honestly, is the fact that Notre Dame's wide receivers are just not good. And he's coming from an offense for the last few years. Wake Forest's wide receivers have been extremely underrated. He had NFL guys there. And Notre Dame, unless they're looking to bring in some transfers or maybe some of these younger guys that haven't played as much can step up, I think there's a concern there that he doesn't have the talent, which sounds crazy. (laughs) He doesn't have as much talent at wide receiver as he did at Wake Forest. You notoriously have been an, an avid supporter of Bobby Petrino over the years. You've you voiced your <laughs> your support for him. Um, whether he's been here or at other stops, you, 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 your, your Twitter handle at one point was Petrino Fan Twenty Four Seven. So only right that we get your take on Bobby going to Texas A and M, and also Jimbo Fisher handing him the the play calling reins. I mean, how it's not a matter of 
whether or not this is going to go well. It's just how well is it going to go? Is it, can they win a national <laughs> title with Petrino calling these plays? I mean, you know, obviously me, I, I love the guy. You know, he's, he's the best. Um, <laughs> I think, I don't know, I, I'm surprised by the fact that Jimbo Fisher is giving up play calling. Um, that's something that, you know, some coaches have done it voluntarily and been fine with it. I mean, I think you've got like Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State. I mean, he was always a play caller and eventually just gave it up, and it wasn't a big deal. Their offense wasn't bad. He just, I think he just grew into a to the mindset of, hey, I should be a head coach and, and coach the entire team. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, I don't think he's even, I don't know how he's going to adapt to that because I don't, this is not, this doesn't feel voluntary. This feels like it's just the pressure getting to him. Um, but I think the thing about Petrino is I think that one thing I will give him lots of credit for is that when he came to Louisville, you know, he, he, he adapted his offense to who he had. And, you know, year one, it was still more of a pro-style offense with Will Gardner at first and Kyle Bowen. Uh, and then it, then it switched over to when he had Lamar Jackson, he, he, he adapted and changed his offense, brought in all the pistol stuff with Chris Klanakis, helping him to, to adapt his offense. And it became this crazy, you know, option offense that we, that we love to, that we love to watch and put up a lots, lots of points and lots of yards. Um, the concern of course, is that once Lamar Jackson was gone, the offense didn't look very good at all. So I, I think the hard thing is, can he, has he changed anything else in his offense over the last few years to adapt back to what he did pre-Lamar and maybe incorporate some of that Lamar stuff, can he also work with Jimbo to adapt his offense with, with Jimbo's offensive system? So he's shown that he's adaptable, which I think he gets credit for because you get Lamar Jackson and you try to make him in a pocket passer, you're, you're an idiot. He, he, did, he was able to, to adjust that. I'm really interested in what he does with, with Jimbo. Is he truly giving up the offense or not? Uh, and then also you just have, I can't imagine those two guys being able to handle each other's personalities, but that's for the fun. That's the fun part, and maybe we'll get some good stories out of it. Shifting back to Louisville, as much fun as that's going to be, the the coaching staff now appears to be more or less set. I think there's still a, a few roles that need to be filled and titles to be assigned. But based on, I guess, maybe what your hope was when Jeff Brom was announced or when it was revealed that he was going to be the new head coach, what do you think of the staff overall? I mean, is it about what you expected? Were there some additions that you would have liked to have seen, some changes made? What's your overall take now on the, the staff that Jeff Brom's going to be the head of? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, as much as T.J. Cabers loves this defense, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm just not – I don't think that the, the defensive scheme and, and the results that, that, that you know, were, were, that were seen at Purdue um, are exciting. I mean – you know, I, I'm sure plenty of people watched the bowl game on Saturday, and I mean that 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 wasn't completely. You know, the score was a little bit different, but you look at the Nebraska game they hit last year, and they gave them nine yards per play, which was more than the way they gave them that bowl game. Uh, they had a couple other games where they're up in the seven and eight yards per play. I mean, those are the things. Those are the types of numbers we saw. You know, 2018, you know, Louisville. You know, 2019 and Sats' first year where they, you know, are really trying to rebuild the defense and whatnot. It's, it's definitely worrisome that, you know, you watch that and that defense struggled for a couple of years under, under Jeff Brom at Purdue, and he made some changes at coordinator, and, you know, he hired, I think he went through three or four coordinators there. I, you know, my, my hope was that he would be, you know, go out and get, you know, a different scheme, a defensive, you know, a guy that, you know, he can come in and bring in and maybe 
uh, may, maybe see some change in that in, in that in the results. But you know, I also said when I was on the show with you recently, these guys won a division in the Big Ten. Um, you know, you get you, you give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe with a, with different players, in my opinion, better players, maybe the system works out a little bit better. Um, they still have a couple spots they can they can they can um, they can fill on defense. You you, re, you retain Mark Ivy. You know, there's still some interesting aspects of what he's going to be able to do here. Um, so there's some things maybe on the defensive side that I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe there's still an opportunity. Uh, but I think on the offensive side, he brought his guys that he knows well. Um, and I think that they're, they're going to be able to bring that offensive system, which is really what you're bringing Jeff Brom in for. And hopefully with the opportunity to get better players like a guy like TJ Capers, you're going to be able to bring in some better talent that maybe the scheme and stuff doesn't matter as much. Final question. I know you are, in addition to being a U of L football junkie or a college football junkie at large, we've got Georgia TCU in the national title game on Monday night. The Bulldogs very, very, very lucky to get past Ohio State. TCU pretty much led Michigan from start to finish in an exciting game, but is very much still kind of the Cinderella here, almost a two-touchdown underdog in this game. Is there a real shot that TCU can keep this thing rolling, a program that, look, we were, we kind of feel like we're tied to. We had some some good times together in Conference USA back in the day. It would be a nice nice end to a evolution story for the Horned Frogs if they were able to pull this off. I think so. I think, I think these games are all about offense. And as good as Georgia's defense is, I don't think they're as good as they were last year. Yeah, I pointed this out at the beginning – I think I tweeted this out at the beginning of the game uh, last week that they they didn't have a lot of havoc sacks like like you would expect you know and like we saw last year they didn't get a lot of sacks this year they didn't get a ton of tackles for loss they didn't, they just didn't do the stuff you expect from a Georgia defense and when you're not doing that that just allows the offense to get bigger plays and and keep drives going and TCU has done such an amazing job at creating big plays I I think they're going to continue to do that and I I, I just don't know if Georgia uh, it sounds weird. I don't know if Georgia's defense is gonna gonna dominate them like you would kind of expect them to do. So if TCU's offense can can score, I think they can beat anybody, uh, and they showed that all year. And to me, I think that I, I'm surprised at the spread. I don't really gamble, but I'm still surprised that people are still doubting TCU, even though they keep beating teams. I think they're gonna go out there, and their offense is gonna be able to score. And then you get to the point that Georgia's offense, as good as it is, they're not as as you know big play. Uh, they don't create as many big plays uh, as TCU does, and I think it just comes to shootout, and I think TCU able, is able to win. He's Keith Wynn. He loves Bobby Petrino. He exchanged Christmas gifts <laughs> with Nolan Smith. He's uh, he's everybody's favorite. Uh, the text line wanted me to bring it up a billion times. We're going to avoid it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, follow him on Twitter, at Keith underscore Wynn. Read his stuff over at Card Chronicle, especially this weekend because it could be a big one for Cardinal football. Keith, always appreciate the time, buddy. Thanks for having me, bud. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Final segment's up next. If you've got thumb on the Thornton sex line at 502-414-1450, keep it locked right here on 1450 The Big X. Jumping that paddle wheel bumping Black 
final 15 minutes or so here of the Thursday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 and 96.1, the Big X. Get your texts in at 502-414-1450. It's the Thornton's text line. Reminder, UofL women's basketball in action tonight, back at home after a disappointing loss at Duke over the weekend. The cards are tipping off at 8 o'clock tonight against Georgia Tech inside the KFC Yum Center. If you can't make it out to the building, you're in luck. Game will be nationally televised on the ACC Network. Louisville, under Jeff Walls, very, very good in games coming off of losses. The cards are 79-63 and 63 all-time. Under Walls, in games immediately following a defeat, they're 11-1 and one in their last 12 games following a loss. They've also been uh, tremendous in conference play overall, but especially after coming off of losses in recent years. Georgia Tech, meanwhile, it's a Yellow Jacket team that is 9-5 overall this season and 0-3 and in ACC play. Uh, it's their third road game in four conference uh, contests. And Louisville all-time, not much of an issue with Georgia Tech, 9-0 and against the Yellow Jackets in their history, including a 5-0 and record inside the KFC Yum Center. The cards last year, though, really, really struck. If you remember that game, it was one of the uglier games. It was about this time of the year, right after New Year's. And Emily Angsler hit a, a game-winning layup with just a couple of seconds left to lift Louisville to a 50-48 win over a Georgia Tech team that was also nationally ranked at that time at number 16. Hopefully, tonight will be less dramatic for good reasons. Uh, Haley Van Lith, by the way, named to the Wooden Award midseason watch list, one of 25 watch list members. She's been terrific recently. She scored 23 points on 11 of 21 shooting in that loss to Duke on Sunday, her second straight game with 20 points or more, and the ninth time that she scored 20 or more points this season she could put on a show tonight against the Yellow Jackets. A reminder, Louisville, Georgia Tech tonight, 8 o'clock. You can catch all the action on your new home for Cardinal Athletics, our sister station, 970 WGTK, or you can check it out on the ACC Network. Better yet, make it out to the uh, the KSCM Center and support Jeff Walls and these ladies. 502-414-1450, Thornton's text lines. Get your thoughts in here before we call it a show. Texter says, Rutherford calling himself a slow riser is an incredible cell phone. I meant the morning. I meant just getting out of bed. Nothing more, nothing less. I'm, I'm a night owl. I'm not a morning person. I never have been. I wish I was like I, Gary. I don't, I don't know if you, because as a fellow night owl, I like the morning time. The, the sunrises are are beautiful. You, you birds chirping, the promise of a new day, a blank slate in front of you. I just hate the way I feel in the morning. I can't get into it. I did morning radio for ten years. God love you, and never got used to it. I don't think I would either. So when they were when they were courting me to join the station, they were like, you know, would you? Would you prefer doing morning, afternoons, middays? And I was like, you know, I've always kind of been curious about having small kids now, them going to school, like what it would be like to do a morning show. I think I could handle it. And they're like, well, we were thinking afternoons. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm not sure it was really why it was laid out to me like that. You know, the problem with doing a morning show, and the reason I did it so long is because if you want to get into radio and you want to make money, you do the morning show, mm-hmm. and then you do the afternoon show. Um I was tired all the time. I took a nap every day, but I was still tired. And even on the weekends, getting up at five o'clock in the morning, raring to go on a Sunday morning, what do you do? Well, you watch TV, maybe. Okay, I, I, I don't think I would handle it. I think I could get used, used to it's the wrong phrase. I think I could do it. 
But I don't think I, I think I'd be like you. I would never actually get used to it. It would still feel wrong. The schedule that I'm on now that I've been on for years and years that I really like is I go to bed around eleven thirty and I get up around eight thirty. And I'm fine for the day with that. And now that I've gotten older, I've gotten back into the nap, the nap habit again. It's a solid plan. As much sleep as you can get whenever you can. I, hearing you say 1130 to 830, though, I just like, I've never been more envious of a person. I'm like, oh, that's a, it's I'd a, kill. yeah. I'd kill for it. My, I mean, my kids don't, they don't go to sleep. John, I shouldn't lump into this category. It's more of a Virginia issue. She refuses to sleep at night. She stays up way too late and then she gets up way too early. John has been an angel in the last few months. He sleeps through the night. God love him. If he didn't, I probably would have been dead by now. I don't, I don't think I could handle it. The only good thing about getting up at 530 on Sunday morning is if you have to go to the grocery you don't have Perfect to fight time. the crowd. Perfect time. Uh, speaking of, we have a text uh, about the afternoon show saying, "Is it? how is it possible that we have three different Louisville afternoon radio shows all happening at the exact same time? I do. I mean, it, it was brought up yesterday. If you hadn't heard the news, my I consider him a friend. I, I like Nick a lot. Used to work with him over at 790. Nick Coffee is making the move from morning show to afternoons over there, which does mean that we have, I mean, God. Like like sixteen different afternoon radio shows in this market, which is not all that big, and I know that at least three of them are Louisville centric. And look, Nick and and Mark, I've known for a long time. I consider both of them friends. They both do a terrific job. I don't fault anybody who's who's listening to them over me. God love you. Um, but I do like. I genuinely feel bad for Louisville fans who really like sports radio because you've got three shows that are are catering to your. I would hope so, catering to, to your, your your needs from a sports radio, and they're all going on at the same Is time. Is Nick going to start leaning toward Kentucky more on his show? Surely not. I mean, I don't think – I mean, Nick's a UofL fan. Have, have you seen what he's done on Facebook and Twitter? I see people – He's got all these uh, Photoshopped uh, because of people him got with his arm right. around, you know – BBN coffee because people, yeah. people got mad at him because he was critical of the football program during the – but he was not alone. There was – I mean, people get get mad at me on the show for not being, you know, too harsh on the, the the basketball team. But it's it is what it is. But if you you know, the good thing is we all have podcasts now. You can listen to every second of every show. But I do understand that it's different for some people who are looking for something to listen to during work or something to listen to on their drive home. And now you've got dueling options. And I think the other thing that sucks is you don't have as many options during other parts of the day. Which you know, well, you'd, that's true. You'd like to spread it out a little bit. But it's, hey, we don't. Most of us, I can't speak for everybody else, most of us don't have control over any of this sort of thing. We, we do what we're told. We get, we get placed where we're told to get placed, and that's the way that it works. Uh, but, I, I, again, I, I wish I, – I jokingly said on his Instagram yesterday that it was time to start taking shots at coffee on the show, but I, I wish both those guys, all those guys who do afternoon shows, nothing but the best. I really have no – if you want, like, me to say terrible things about people that I don't like in this market, like, it's not going to happen because I, I – I like almost everybody. There are very few people that I've had problems with, and I think, I I think all of them are gone. They're either like not working for you, like doing U of L stuff, or they're not in this city anymore. So I I don't really have any problems. Uh, I know that's boring. They're usually pretty nice when you see them out at events. Yeah, I mean, everybody. You, know, you can't say. I mean, it's just, hey, we're in radio, but it's not brain surgery and. You know, it's not the biggest deal in the world. That's and, right. And at the end of the day, like all of us are 
less listened to than like the fifth most popular country music station. <laughs> it's it's not the egos need to be checked at sometimes. We're just here to do a little song and a little dance and a little seltzer in your pants. <laughs> People are mad at me that I didn't uh, grill Keith more about the, the the Nolan Smith thing. Uh, Texas, when Keith Wynn comes on, can you please get the story of the Twitter feud 2022 between Keith and Nolan Smith? Spill that hot tea. And she says, uh, yes, I am a girl, and I love all the drama of housewives like social media feuds. And then she said, dear Mr. Rutherford, you, sir, are no Andy Cohen, drunk or otherwise. I certainly am not. I do love <laughs> – I will fully admit to – I watch one reality show anymore. Back in a in another lifetime, I watched every junkie show that was on MTV back in the day. I watch one now. What do you watch? Southern Charm on Bravo. And so Southern it's, Charm. I don't watch any of the housewife stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't do any of the other shows. But Southern Charm, when Mary was on maternity leave with our first kid, she was watching it. I caught like five seconds of this guy uh, who was running for, allegedly running against Lindsey Graham for Senate in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And I was fascinated by him. And I looked into him, and it turns out he was the treasurer in South Carolina. And he got arrested for, with a buttload of cocaine. And he had to resign. And I became even more – I was like, I've got to watch this show. And he's no longer on the show because of some – unfortunate <laughs> sexual abuse allegations, which were not surprising given his background. But I, I watched the show, and it's the only reason why I know like much about Andy Cohen. And he does, do, he does an unreal job at these reunions, getting these people to say the worst possible things about one another. I can't do that. I like to watch the live PD on patrol on Friday and Saturday night. It's on the Reels channel. It sounds great. It's, uh, it's, it's like cops, but it's done live between 9 and midnight. And... Uh, it just makes me feel so much better about myself and my life. <laughs> Unbelievable. I, I, it, it, but, and it also gives me, my brother is a, a retired police officer, and uh, I have a great deal of respect for him. Sure. A lot of the stuff that he told me, you know, when he was, when he was a police officer, he's, he just, he just used to come in and go, you know, you've got it real easy compared to me. And I was like, oh, people call up on the phone and they request songs and they gripe and they complain. <laughs> yeah, but they don't hit you. That's yeah. You're not wrong. Texas says ESPN reports that the university of Texas is entertaining hiring. You guessed it. Frank Stallone. Well done. Marcus T. Texas says, I easily have $500 in parking tickets in Ohio. I'm scared every time I drive through. Oh, I'm still scared. That one that I refuse to pay. Every time I drive through Ohio, I'm like, if I get pulled over, I can't imagine what the fees that have piled up on that bad boy from 2006 are. But I'm I'm not paying it. What Was it a speeding ticket? No, it was that one that I, t I told you about where I was parked like more than eight inches away oh, from a driveway. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I was n I'm never going to pay it. Texas says, please, God, give us. I'm not going to take shots, guys. I'm not I'm not going to take shots. Texas says, um, Mark did go to the German-American club, so I listen sometimes. Mostly you guys, though. Y'all should host a show from there in the summer. I love Mark. We used to do radio together back in the day. Texas says, I'm not sure that Gary realizes that Trevor is not actually in Paris. Oh, no, he does. I don't, I don't, I don't think. Really? I don't, <laughs> I don't think Gary was confused on that front. I'm so disappointed. I think that would have been good if he didn't. It would have been better if he hadn't, but I, I'm pretty sure he was I'm pretty sure he was aware. Texas says, I wonder if Texas would have fired a football coach who was as successful as Beard was. Look, Chris Beard was still making a ton of money. A ton of money. They would not, and the... The tweet that's out there, now, there's another tweet that's out there now about UT releasing a letter to Beard's lawyer in which the, the, the school's VP of legal affairs lays it out pretty significantly that like, it seems like this, this guy doesn't understand what he's 
what he's done. The actual quote from this says, additionally, your letter this morning reveals that Mr. Beard does not understand the significance of the behavior he knows he engaged in or the ensuing events that impair his ability to effectively lead our program. The lack of self-awareness is yet another failure of judgment that makes Mr. Beard unfit to serve as head coach at our university. For these reasons, the university proceeds will proceed to terminate Mr. Beard. The attached letter is his termination notice, blah, 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 blah. Again, like, Texas would not make this decision if they didn't feel like they absolutely had to. They've invested a ton of money in this guy. They are having success. That, that's the other big thing. They've been waiting for this level of success in basketball for a long time. They've been actively pursuing it. There's all this talk about Texas, what a great basketball job it is, which I think is still overblown. But they do have a ton of money. They've got the move coming up to a power conference that's going to have staying power. There are a lot of reasons to enjoy being the, the head basketball coach at Texas. But they still, knowing what they know, said it, they had to cut ties with this guy. They had no other choice. And that sentence to me, the he still does not understand the significance of the behavior that he knows he engaged in, is just saying, if you want to sue us for unlawful termination, good luck. Because there's a lot of stuff that's going to come out, and it's not going to be pretty for Chris Beard. Maybe just go ahead and, and be happy that this is all you're getting. Texter says, Trevor could be actually be in Paris, Paris, Kentucky. It's a good text. Texas Southern Charm is a beautiful train wreck of a show. It, it absolutely is. Although it's gotten to the point, the thing about every reality show is if there's any sort of genuine quality about it in the first couple of seasons, it's wrecked once it gets successful. Like all the, like they try to act like these people aren't making money off the show. Like, oh, I, I finally got a job at this department store. I'm like, I, I don't know what I've been doing for the I'm like, we know what you've been doing. You've been making $150,000 per show. It's out there. Everybody reads it. Like th- stop acting like this isn't a thing. Like you can't just hide the fact that you've gotten famous off the show by season six and that that's your main source of income. It, that's the only thing that, that rubs me wrong about reality shows. Southern Charm though is, I still can't turn it away. I've got to watch it. Texture says, um, is there a chance that A.J. Johnson, the AJ, I don't know how to answer the A.J. Johnson stuff. He's going to Texas for now. We'll see him. We'll see what happens. Texas says, BBH, bring Beard home. No, let's, 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 let's not do that. Uh, tonight in college basketball, interesting slate. We've got uh, Indiana, previously mentioned, taking on Iowa, who's been really struggling on the road, despite Indiana being nationally ranked and Iowa being 0-3 in Big Ten play. The Hawkeyes are a one-and-a-half-point favorite. The big game of the night, though, Purdue at Ohio State. Number one, Purdue, taking on the 24th-ranked Buckeyes. Buckeyes are a one-and-a-half-point favorite as well. I think Purdue wins that game. I think they bounce back from their, their loss. I think they go on the road and win. I'm not sold on Ohio State. Nighttime, big-time West Coast games. USC-UCLA, big West Coast rivalry. I know we all hate Mick Cronin, think he sucks. I think they're going to win that game. But I do like USC to cover the 11. Arizona taking on Washington, who's about to fire Mike Hopkins. Arizona will roll. And then Gonzaga taking on San Francisco. Only a a 9.5-point line. San Francisco, super interesting. They're 0-2 in the West Coast Conference, but the last time they were on a big stage, they beat a nationally ranked Arizona State team by 27. Uh, They are dangerous. I think that game will be closer than you think. I also think Gonzaga is not legit top 10. I've defended Gonzaga in the past. But I'm I'm not defending them now. So those are your picks that are guaranteed to be wrong. Gary, appreciate the work today as always. Oh, it's fun being back with you again. It's been a while. We will see you again tomorrow, I believe, and we we will. I will be here. We will potentially have Matt McGavick back uh, in the hot seat as well. We'll react to tonight's game against Georgia Tech on the women's side, and then get you ready for the weekend for the men's side. And 
maybe some more good football notes to get to. It's the Mike Rutherford Show. It's coming back tomorrow at 3. Everybody have a fantastic Thursday night. Cardinal Insider with Jody Demling's up next. Some funky Dixieland pretty mama come and take me by the hand. I want a honky tonk, honky tonk, pretty mama, honky tonk, with you all night long. I like to hear some funky Dixieland pretty mama come and take me by the hand. I want a honky tonk, honky tonk, pretty mama, honky tonk, with you all night long. I like to hear some funky Dixieland pretty mama come and take me by the hand. Come I want a honky tonk. Bye.